This is VOCM Open Line. Call 709-273-5211 or 1-888-590-8626. The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily those of this station. The biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador starts now. Here's VOCM Open Line host Patty Daly. Well, no, that's the first lie. Although it's not really a lie. Patty's normally here. Patty is uh, off today. Well-deserved break. Uh, he'll be back tomorrow. If you can't tell, uh, it's the third string host, Tim Powers here. How are you, everybody? Glad to be in here. Actually in the studio on Kenmount Road. Great to be here. Nice sunny day. I can see all the way out there, of course, before the sky falls. And all the weather comes. I, can I just start there? i got a bunch of things to say this morning to get the biggest conversation in Newfoundland going. But I love, uh, you know, all the advanced forecasting. I love we get so much information. But my God, sometimes it's a bit much. And, and thank you to Environment Canada and the weather office. They're so good to VOCM. Please keep being good to VOCM, regardless of what I'm about to say here. But, oh my God, you would swear. We don't know that we live in Newfoundland land in Labrador. We don't know that we live in Canada. We don't know that snow comes in the winter. We don't know that. Yeah, guess what? Sometimes the roads get a bit treacherous and sometimes it's tough to go outside. But hey, that's what we signed up for. My goodness. Uh, and I know from talking to news directors that weather sells and it leads. And look, they got me talking about it again here now. But boy, oh boy, oh boy. You know, back in the dark old ages when I was a kid here going to St. Bonds, it never seemed to be we got this much noise about storms before they came and we would actually you know walk through 10-foot snow drifts to go to school when they did come now i know we've learned more about liability and more about the importance of being safe and and all of those things which are vital don't get me wrong but it's like we got this snow paranoia last week i was in uh Ottawa, and they were going to have 25 centimeters. And for three days leading into the storm, the lead story every day was about it was coming, and it was going to come, and it was going to feel like this, and it was going to screw up that. And guess what? The snow came, and we survived. Ah, weather stories. Well, that's my blizzard of weather information for you this morning. You want to have a rant about how we've become so weather cautious and weather paranoid? Go for it, boy. I'm all here to hear that this morning and talk about it. Now, moving from cynicism to optimism and gratitude. But don't worry, I'm coming back to cynicism again soon, shortly. I want to say congratulations and due recognition to Chief Meisel Joe. Uh, of the Maupac First Nation, formerly Con River. What a storied career that gentleman has had. Uh, he announced yesterday that after three decades as the chief and over five decades of community leadership, he's stepping back as the administrative chief and he will remain the traditional chief. And he's always going to be a central figure in that community and in this province. I've met the chief on a, a few occasions. I've watched him from afar, admired him from afar. Uh, he has been a steadfast, solid, responsible, respectful leader of his people and an important leader in this province. He's a wise voice. He's always worth listening to. And my experience with him has been that he's always thinking not just of his people and his community, but has a fiduciary duty to all of 
those around him. And I think in this era where, you know, we're going to talk about the Grand Orange in a moment. I'm not talking about Yuppie. I'm talking about Trump. Uh, when you have figures like Misel Joe, who have contributed so much and done it so positively and, and over such a long period of time and leave politics not under criminal indictment, not under any of the things that the former now soon to be probably American president is, you need to celebrate them. I am sorry, Chief Joe, for bringing you into that conversation. But my uh, my goodness, sir, you have been a great example for many of us uh, within your own people and all the people of this province and this country. So thank you. Thank you for what you've done. We're going to try and get Chief uh, Meisel Joe on to, to get his reflections and to, uh, to get his look forward about his community and this province. And uh, hopefully that will transpire later this morning. So back to the cynicism. And I'll come back to optimism again. Let's make that the bouncing ball this morning. Oh, my goodness. It's about to become real. And I know this is the biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador, but we got to go global for a moment. Donald Trump, in what wasn't a surprise, killed it last night in Iowa. Killed it. 50 over the last I'd seen over 51% of the vote in the Iowa caucuses. The Iowa caucus is the first um, Republican runoff. There's also a Democratic one. Uh, and his second place competitor, the last I'd saw was Ron DeSantos, the governor of Florida. A lot of Newfoundlanders and Labradorians will also be familiar with Governor DeSantos because of our travel down there. Governor DeSantos uh, was second and Governor Haley... Uh, former Governor Haley, former Ambassador Haley was third. Although, interestingly, of all the Republican candidates, it is Governor Haley uh, who polls best against Joe Biden. But that doesn't matter because Donald Trump, and look, I am no fan. That's clear to a lot of people. Uh, but he he has a movement of people that defy traditional political norms He's, what, under, there are 90 different indictments against him. He's not, a, he won't be a candidate in two states in the United States. And you think about how other presidents have fallen while in office or were rub, rushed out of office, Richard Nixon being one of them, for a burglary at the Watergate Hotel and taping people. Donald Trump is probably going to win. Today, he would win the United States national election. A lot can happen between now and November. Boy, that... You know, we can bemoan that. We have to accept that's a reality and understand why that's happening and get at some of the underpinning things that are flowing over here into Canada and flowing around the world. The anger, populism, dislocation, all those great terms uh, that are real. So we can carp and moan. But boy, instead of doing that, we got to look at trying to figure out how we address these things so that they can be resolved so that they don't allow characters like Trump uh, to become president again. But if you got thoughts on all of that, give me a ring. You want to talk a little bit about all of that? Speaking about elections, I already see there's some calls up there. We're going to do a little look in our backyard here. The Conception Bay East uh, Bell Island by-election, of course, is coming up a little under two weeks. We're going to talk to Fred Hutton in a little bit. I've talked to Tina Neary before. I previously, before she was a candidate, had spoken to Kim Churchill. That's a good roster of candidates. Um, it's an interesting by-election. Uh, Fred, of course, well-known Newfoundlander and Labradorian uh, against two very capable opponents uh, in a by-election that may May mean something or may not. I'm one of these advocates that thinks by-elections are overstated in their meaning and their imports, but I think both Premier Fury, Tony Wakeham, and Jim Din are all going to look at that by-election in uh, Conception Bay East, Bell Island, and 
take meaning from it about when maybe there's a provincial election. What does it say about one party's momentum or one party's challenges? It's uh, it's it's getting some attention. And what are some of the issues there? But I, again, I tell you, every time I sit in here, it's the summer. You hear about the Belle Island Ferry. I'm sure that's an issue there. I saw a clip last night where healthcare, which is an issue in every um, part of Newfoundland and Labrador and Canada, is 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 playing to the fore. But I got to tell you, and I, I think all three, all, all candidates are guilty of this. We're still selling people a bag of goods, right? This whole notion that there's going to be, and I'm sorry to break the, the bubble if you live under this illusion, that there's going to be a quality of health, some healthcare service everywhere is nonsense. Uh, and that's not because people don't want to deliver it. Don't get me wrong. It's because it's, you know, demographics, affordability, reality of proximity, geographic location, all these things do that. And I hope if you're a voter, you take it upon yourself to call politicians out who say to you, oh yeah, you're going to have what you had 10 years ago. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense. Um, And shame on you if you don't call them out. We have to change the province here, provinces elsewhere, uh, regardless of political stripe, are making healthcare service delivery changes. And yes, that's annoying and that's angry. And we want to live in this world where, you know, we can go to a mile away and we can get the best healthcare services that are available. Boy, go to an emergency room in any, any part of this country and you'll find out that's not true. And unless we are prepared to give up other things and prepared to focus on making this the number one issue consistently, we are going to have to deal with the reality of change. So it's really kind of frustrating when you see politicians promising again, regardless of party, that, oh, yeah, yeah, we're going to make it like it was. I call uh, nonsense on on all of that. But uh, hey, what do I know? Uh, I'm just a citizen. So we're going to talk about that, talk about the by-election. going to have Amanda Bittner on to get her her take uh, on what by-elections mean or don't mean in your take. I see there's already somebody there who wants to talk about all of that. Now, another positive, optimistic thing. So glad to hear for the people of Cornerbrook in that area and the people of, of, uh, uh, of the province and this region, Marble Mountain's opening. Now, hopefully, the lightning opening this week, hopefully that lightning <laughs> chair lift is going to work. I know they had some troubles last year, but it sounds like it's going to happen, and who cares that it's, what, January 7th, 16th today? It'll be January 18th. Uh, Marble Mountain's important to the economy of the province. It's important uh, to people in the city of Cornerbrook, the surrounding areas. Glad that it's open. Hopefully the weather will cooperate. Hopefully we will uh, get to have a good ski season and uh, hiking and snowmobiling and all of those things uh, that are important to people and get to showcase the province. There are a lot of people who will come to Newfoundland and Labrador if you don't mind the exorbitant cost of flying and all the bells and whistles you need to jump through to go skiing in Cornerbrook. But if you're there and you want to talk about that, I know there have been challenges in the past and conversations about how you revitalize Marble Mountain, what you need to do there. That could be part of our conversation today. The other part of our conversation could be housing. Uh, You heard uh, Brian talk about it on the news. You will see from most of the news outlets today stories of housing ministers' meetings. Uh, The Atlantic housing ministers met with Sean Fraser, their federal counterpart, yesterday. One of the things coming out of that meeting is the government has a housing catalog. In that housing catalog, there are different pre 
constructed. I don't want to just say prefabricated because uh, there's different ways to build houses. Um, houses out there that the government is going to encourage people to build, particularly in Atlantic Canada. Will that help? Will people take them? Will it address the housing shortages that are uh, that are out there and that are present? Um, do you think we're doing enough, quickly enough on housing? I know people, again, have different views on all of those things, uh, but I, I welcome that. Again, there's a lot of lip service on housing, too. Uh, it, like healthcare, it's one of these things, I'm going to use a word that people don't often like, housing. You need to be patient. I know that is not, that may seem condescending if you're somebody living in a tent in a park right now, and I, I don't mean to be condescending about that. But the reality, which you know better if you are unfortunately somebody who's stuck in a park uh, living, is it, it takes time. And again, dedication. It can't just be the political shiny bobble of the day. So we will uh, talk about housing if you want, um, because I think we should. Linked to housing, and now if we do this, I want it done responsibly. Immigration. Uh, bank economists, if you look at the front of the Globe and Mail today, if you get it online, because of course we don't get the paper version here in the province, bank economists saying the government has got to figure out a more um, effective way to manage immigration because we've had spikes in immigration. Now, I'm all for immigration uh, increasing because of the labor issues and the broader benefit of bringing more people to this country because we all eventually uh, historically did come from somewhere um uh we need to talk about immigration though one of the gripe, uh, gripes excuse me about immigration at the moment is that uh, it's having an impact on on housing and people um, who have been here longer are not getting access to houses new immigrants don't have access to houses that creates all kinds of social disorder um, the federal minister of immigration mark miller that this past week on ctv's question period uh, said uh, was very uh, open and and offered a lot of candor on the state of dysfunction in the system uh, that's a political strategy they have responsibility for that they're not alone on that uh, previous governments could have done more here because we've been all over the place in immigration, low numbers, high numbers. How do you feel about all of it? I'm welcome to that conversation, but anybody who utters a word that um, is in at all reflective of racism, don't you dare call. I don't want to hear your view. I want to hear well-articulated views about what people think about immigration, not about people's skin color, where they come from, or anything like that. But let's do immigration if we can. Last point before the break. And that is, I got to join the crowd of people uh, throwing bouquets to uh, Terry Ryan. I can tell you as a an older athlete who never played hockey, but played rugby in my 40s and, and runs uh, now, uh, it's pretty damn impressive to play a professional sport at 47 years of age and to uh, account for yourself very well. And as Terry himself said, uh, to <laughs> uh, show that you could, uh, you could keep up with those athletes and uh, show your daughter, and I, I love that because I like to do that with my son, that you're, you're still able to perform. Uh, pretty impressive. Well done, Terry. Well done, Growlers. Well done, everybody around all of that now time for our first break on vocm's open line i believe when we come back we are going to have the liberal candidate for conception bay east bell island on the line uh, fred hutton and boy i already see we got tom davis philip laura eugene nippert we're on fire this morning we're going to take all those calls right after this 
Welcome back. Tim Powers here for Patty Today. A reminder, you can get me on X. I hate saying X, but anyway. Or that thing formerly known as Twitter, at Powers Tim. Uh, you can also email at openline at vocm.com. Before we go to Fred, we're going to go to a constituent in the riding of Conception Bay, East Bell Island, and that is Philip Laurie. Philip, I think I did this right. You on the air there? Yes, hello, Mr. Powers. How are you today, sir? Uh, well, I'm delighted that Mr. Uh, Mr. Houghton is coming on because part of my reason being on is to ask a question. Okay, and what is that? Uh, I'd like to ask uh, an open question to all four candidates in the upcoming by-election, January 29, in the District of Conception Bay, East Bell Island. And that is, with a population of around 24,000 people being the third largest community, in the province, the town of Paradise do not have a high school, leaving thousands of students being bussed daily throughout the region. Mm-hmm. Do you think the students deserve to be educated in their own town? Now, I remember, you will know more than I do on this, but now there was a bit of controversy about this beforehand, right? Because the students, there was some hope or thought that there would be a school built in Paradise. As you say, they've been now moving to a a, a different area. There was criticism, though I don't know if it was ever validated. There were political motives behind all of this. What's the latest in the community around this? Is there still a desire to have that school in Paradise? Yes, I think the mayor will express that view. Being, uh, I, I was born and raised in this area, and I had to attend school in St. John's, and we didn't even have a school bus. Lots of times I had yeah. to walk the tops of the road or get in the back of a truck and get there whatever way possible. And one time a teacher said to me in St. John's, Philip, where in the hell do you live? <laughs> uh, I mean, we were always in, in the, uh, this has been the Cinderella of the Northeast Avalon for kids going to school. Now, I think a child is educated in their own community will develop a civic pride in that community. And, it, and again, I plead my ignorance here, and the mayor can call in and, and address that, though that may take the whole show. But um, the, there, there, is the, the, there are no, enough students in that area, in your view, to justify a school? Well, and now, I can tell you how many, uh, when I was growing up, there wasn't that many. But yeah. But now there's, um, well, there's the, the Elizabeth Park Elementary. That's probably blocked to the seams. And there's a, t- a Paradise Elementary. And then there's the new Octagon Pond. Mm-hmm. And there's a junior high, which we finally got a couple of years ago. And then there's Holy Family on St. Thomas Line. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it should be built kind of central to the community because development is going to take place more in the west side towards, um, let's say, uh, west of St. Thomas Line. Because okay. Most of Paradise Road on the east side is watershed. Okay. And uh, the rest of Paradise is either built up or or industrial, like um, Pennywell Road. Yeah, yeah, okay. And so the main places that to be developed in the future is Topsail Pond, Tree Island Pond, and west of St. Thomas Line. Okay. What was called Topsail Bluff. Tell you, I remember Topsail Bluff. So, now, now, go ahead, uh, Philip, sorry. I think when you build a high school, I like to tell the members that you've got to build it for generations, not for a few years. Yeah. So that's basically where I'm coming from okay. this morning. Now, before I let you go, and, and Fred is Fred is one of the candidates. Fred Houghton is on the line. I'll ask Fred about your question about uh, school in Paradise. Um, wh- what are you hearing about the by-election in your riding there? 
not very much. I had candidates or their agents come to my door, and I mean, it's just a basic, you know, hello and yeah. whatever, and we'll bring up a few issues. But a by-election, you, well, they don't, it's a big district. So mm-hmm. there's not many, you know, you're lucky to get them to visit your door. And probably the only way I can talk to the candidates as a constituent is over open line. Yeah. So I think that's what the avenue I'm using this morning, and I'd like the mayor to be uh, put his two cents in too, because I'm watching here, I'm a senior citizen, and I'm watching children being bussed all over God's Green Acre. And I'm saying to myself, is there any improvement when I went to school in St. John's in the early 60s? So, Philip, where in the riding are you again? Sorry, I missed that earlier. I'm in, the, uh, well, Paradise is made up of four communities. Okay. And they need, they need some unifying force because it's basically... But is that where you are? You're in Paradise? I'm in Paradise, but I was called the community of St. Thomas. Okay, got it. Thank it you. It was a town before 1992. But yep, then an amalgamated. We, yeah. we need glue. We yep. need civic glue. Yeah. And I think a high school would do it. All right. I will uh, leave it there, and I'll go right to, to Fred Hutton. Thanks for the well, time. Thank to... you very much. All right. Good uh, Good talking to you, Philip. Take care. You're welcome. Bye. Oh, so this is going to be fun. Role reversal. And God, my friend, and still my friend, my colleague for a while, Fred Hutton and I have known each other for over 40 years. And uh, he's done lots for Newfoundland and Labrador. And now he's got his name on the ballot. Now, I uh, maybe, uh, maybe he's had a mental health crisis. Teasing, of course. It's great to see Fred and all the other candidates putting their name on the ballot. And Fred, before we get to Philip, Laurie, because uh, you and I really haven't had this conversation yet, sort of in, in a public realm. After your long story career, you did go in and you've been working with Premier Fury. What made you decide to take this next step uh, in your life? Uh, good morning, Tim. It's it's great to be on uh, open line. And it, yeah, it is a little bit of a role reversal here. I've interviewed you many times <laughs> in the past. And look, if I may, just for a, a very brief second, yeah. Uh, in your preamble, you mentioned Chief Missile Joe, Sagama Joe from mm-hmm. Con River. Everybody across Newfoundland and Labrador knows him. Uh, I have known him in my work capacity for about 30 years, and I have really gotten to know him, uh, I, you know, as very closely over the last little while working with Premier Fury. I cannot tell you, I cannot emphasize how much respect I have for that mm-hmm. man. The... the uh, the work that he's done, not just for his community, but for the entire province. And uh, he's known across Canada, of yep. course. He's well-respected. He has an absolute fabulous sense of humor as well, I might I might add. And he's just a really decent human being. And I really have to say that while I'm disappointed to hear that he is retiring, it's well-deserved. He, he always talks about his family. He always asks you about your family when you're mm-hmm. talking to him. And he's going to get to spend some well-deserved more time with them. So so congratulations to him yeah. uh, on, a, on a great career. And, and and thanks for pointing that out at the beginning of your uh, at the beginning of your show. So well, you almost sound here. like a polished candidate, though. I know you're very sincere, sincere guy. I'm teasing you, of course. No, that, but and Meisel Joe, Meisel Joe, it's yours. You know him well. It's so important to recognize him. So so I let's work closely with the premier on the indigenous leadership yeah. of the last three years three and a half years and he is just a fabulous person to deal with and i got a ton of time and ton of respect for him and i wish him all the best so before we get to philip i want to go to that question so why this this journey fred 
So I about almost four years ago, I was asked to join Premier Fury's team. He wasn't the Premier at the time. He was running for the mm-hmm. leadership. Uh, and I had a little bit of, a bit of time to think about it because of the pause in the leadership. And, and as I was thinking about it, it was I was reporting on these stories about mm-hmm. what a difficult position this province was in. We sat in my shed for about three and a half or four hours, a few cups of tea. I wanted to, I basically wanted to interview him for the job that I was possibly going to take. And I saw somebody who has a vision for, uh, for the province that was something that, I mean, I've interviewed lots of premiers and, and prime ministers and political leaders over my time. And I just thought, this is the guy that I, I actually believe in, that he is passionate enough about this to want to make a difference on some of the bigger things. We talked about Muskrat Falls. Now, remember, this was at a time, at the same time Premier Ball had written the prime minister to say, we could not borrow money. We could not pay the bills. We need, we need a little yep. bit of help here. We were entering a global pandemic. Things were pretty dire at the time, and there was a lot of uncertainty during that period of time. Um, And, of course, we didn't know that (laughs) it was going to be a global pandemic at that conversation that I had in my shed. But I just thought, like, this is a real person. The timing was right for me. I sort of, uh, you know, moved around a little bit in my uh, media career, my Mm -hmm. journalism career, trying to figure out where I wanted to be. And I was at an age where I thought, you know, I've got this much runway, and I'm, I'm making a smaller gesture ahead of me and this much a larger piece behind me. If I'm ever going to do anything like this, now is the time, and he's the right person with a okay. vision for Newfoundland and Labrador. And that's truly what it is, because you, you need somebody like that, a leader, to inspire you every day, to get you up out of bed in the morning, to, to continue the work. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. some people have a dim view of politics right now and politicians. Part of that as well is wanting to let people know that this place is worth fighting for. And, you know, I keep telling this story about my mom who went away with my dad and three kids. And, you know, they were living away. Mom got pregnant, but she, although dad worked at a hospital, she insisted on coming back to Newfoundland, uh, back to, you know, our home here Mm -hmm. in Fort Cove, where they were to, uh, to uh, have me so that I would have a birth certificate that said Newfoundland and Labrador on it. And I mean, like, honestly, I know that sounds corny, Tim, but like that, I'm so glad she did that. Yep. No, I get that. I'm so proud of that fact that she wanted to do that. She's from Catalina and she was a staunch Newfoundlander. And, you know, obviously born before we were part of Canada and uh, before we were called Newfoundland and Labrador. So, you know, it just, it kind of lined up. And then over the last few years, just listening to and watching and being at the premier's side in his own district, knowing what MHAs do and what they face. I live in this community. Uh, you know, I've been here pretty much my whole life. My parents were here. My grandparents had a house out here, aunts, uncles, sisters. My son has a house out here now. You know, we just love the area. And uh, I know everybody here pretty much. I mean, you know, not so much on the Paradise side. I do have friends over there because this is a huge district. But it just seemed like a right fit, the right fit at this point in time. And I love politics, too, right? I mean, I love it's hard not to do the job you did and, and not, and people don't appreciate that. I'm, I'm sorry to cut you off a little bit here, but you know well the clock. So we got about two, I mean, two yeah. minutes. I want to do three rapid-fire issues. I know it won't okay. do justice. Let's start with the caller. The Paradise School, lots of, you know, the desire to have a high school in Paradise. Where do you stand on that and why? In full support of it. Uh, on, on December 13th, I uh, launched the campaign. On December 15th, the first meeting that I had with anybody was with the uh, parents group that won a high school in Paradise, and I gave them my commitment at that point in time that I would uh, fight for a school for that area. 
Okay. I drive across St. Thomas's line uh, dozens of times a year, and I'm going over there now. And I have no—you have no idea how many houses are in there. There's 4,300. Oh, really? Okay. As wow. part of this district, yeah, it's a large part of Conception Bay's Bell Island. Okay. Uh, question two um, is the ferry. Uh, you know, from being where <laughs> I am today and covering it as you did for years, yep. Bell Island Flare, Bell Island Ferry. W- where are you on improved ferry service for Bell Island, and what does that look like? So uh, it, the, the communication aspect of it seems to be the biggest uh, problem. Uh, people over there, um, people on Bell Island want to know when they're coming back. People on this side want to know when they can get over. I chatted with a teacher who works, who lives in Paradise but works on Bell Island in the school. Uh, there needs to be a better system of communication for the people on Bell Island primarily because those are the folks who are trying to get to work, to school, to doctor's appointments or shopping or whatever uh, on this side and the people who need to get over there to bring goods and services or if they work over there, if they're a doctor, if they're a nurse, if they're a school teacher, there needs to be a better communication system. Shore-based manager seems to be what they want uh, in terms of the majority of the people I've spoken to, which is basically somebody on the ground who's making a decision uh, you know, I liken it to when the Gander Weather Office was taken away. Yeah. It's, it's the same kind of thing. This, this was a position that was in place about 15 years ago. For some reason, it was taken away. Uh, I'm not looking to the past to blame anyone or look at it, but there needs to be a point of contact. They want the decisions made here locally with somebody who is on the ground here, not somebody who is in Clarenville or somebody who's in Lewisport or at the Confederation Building. And uh, what I said the other day on Bell Island is that if I'm elected within within a week or two, there will be a job posting for that position to return it. Because if that's what people want the most, and it, the communication aspect is the biggest part. Right mm-hmm. now, volunteers are on this Bell Island Ferry Users Committee posting what is actually happening. Yeah, most modern services don't work like that around the world. Right. All right. Now, there, La- there is 511, right, yeah. obviously, but there, you know, there's, there's people who are actually there wondering what's going on, and they're there, like people who live down. Mary Noseworthy, one of them I'll just mention. Okay. She, her posts are visible on Facebook every day. All right, last one, and uh, you, <laughs> you got less than a minute to deal with this, and it's the biggest public policy issue in the country with housing, and that is health care. I saw aspects of the, I think it was the debate in Wabana about bringing back emergency rooms and the like Uh, i think politicians and you always try to get them to be forthright about what people can expect around health care what can your district expect from you when it comes to health care service provision well i can i can tell you one thing i was listening to your preamble as well tim and uh, not promising something what it was like 10 years ago. Because the premier has said countless times, doctors don't practice the same way they used to. Mm-hmm. Nurse practitioners don't as well. You know, it, it's, it's a changing landscape, which is why, uh, just to very quickly touch on the health accord, the premier initiated that with Dr. Parfrey and Sister Elizabeth Davis, you know, in the height of COVID, knowing that healthcare was one of the major issues. I mean, obviously at the time during COVID, it was the major issue. But I mean, if you look at the situation over there, the ferry is the lifeline. Fix that first and make sure there's better communication and, a, and a, at least a better feeling about it that the decisions are being made on the ground on either side, whichever side it happens okay. to be on. I mean, right now there's three nurse practitioner, practitioners
commissioners over there with a new one starting soon. We've got, I think, two out of six of the full-time permanent RN positions are filled. Uh, we, we've got six out of seven permanent full-time LPN positions. There's the TCA positions. Both of them are filled. We're looking at, uh, I, I mentioned the other day, uh, helicopter services in with a contract with Cougar so that if the ferry goes down, the the, the uh, helicopter is ready to go. So I'm trying to jam it into your minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're doing a good job. You're what you've you've, also, you've you've been on the other also, side of this, Mike. You got 10 seconds. Close her out, please. The Department of Health is now looking at uh, you know beefing up the helicopter pad uh, area over there, looking at lighting beacons so that it's right next to the hospital. I was chatting with the Minister Tom Osborne about it yesterday. And just quickly to Mr. Uh, uh, Laurie's comment about. Not knowing how to talk to the the uh, the people who are running, I'm happy to give out my my phone number here. It's eight nine five seven three one five. That's the campaign headquarters. Okay. Or elect Fred Hutton at your <laughs> <laughs> you have le- you've, you've learned a few things on the other side of the chair. Anyway, t- the teasing aside, good luck to you and all the candidates. It's not a, not an easy race. You're obviously all working very hard. Uh, we will keep update. We'll keep reaching out for updates. Thanks, Fred. Good luck, Jim. I appreciate it. Listen, one of the things that I, I think I'm pretty good at is listening. I've done that my whole career. People have trusted me with that, and that's what I'm going to continue as their MHA. All right. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Bye. That was Fred Hutton, the uh, liberal candidate for Conception Bay East Bell Island. We have been talking to all all uh, candidates throughout. We will continue to do that. Sorry for going a little long, but there were some key policy questions to get at there. When we come back, we will talk to St. John's Mayor Danny Breen about these community safe community grants uh, right after this break. Start your day off right. Get the latest updates on news, traffic, and weather conditions, plus interviews with today's newsmakers, your go-to source before you get on the go. 5.30 to 9 a.m. weekdays, your VOCM mornings. Boy, I tell you, I miss coming in the office, the office, the studio here, because when I do it at home, I only had the cat. Now I had like four people run in and give lots of instructions. See, this is why you should go to work. This work from home stuff isn't as fun. All right, we got a lot on the go here. And as I said, I'm going to go to Mayor Breen and then Eugene and Tom. I will take you after, but fair warning, I'm going to take six or seven minutes with the uh, with the mayor because I have a lot of things to raise with him. Don't worry, Mayor Breen. It's it's not law and order. It's not going to be too too brutal. But anyway, how are you this morning, Danny? Doing great, Tim. How are you? Oh, good. I don't know if you've heard the story from your city manager, but it was very funny in October. He was in Europe at a conference, and we uh, accidentally bumped into each other at the Vimy Memorial. Uh, Sorry, the uh, Beaumont Hamill Memorial. I was there with a couple of colleagues, and I looked in the distance, and there was Kevin. Uh, That guy looks familiar, and there was the city manager of St. John's, legitimately on duty, paid for it himself, not trying to get Kevin in trouble, but it was so funny to see two Newfoundlanders and I know I've known you and Kevin for a very long time there so Beaumont Hamill brings us all together it certainly does so speaking of Beaumont Hamill that you know leaks to lead it connects in in a, in a small way to keeping community communities safe um, and and the like uh, and and the investment that's needed to be made now you've been given as other municipalities have um, um, I think it's $1.8 million, nearly $2 million, and you have come up with this uh, Safe Community Grants. How is this system going to work? So uh, what happened is Public Safety Canada uh, came out with these um, grants 
to uh, to look at the underlying causes of, um, of of safety in our in our community and uh, and the health of our population. So we um, we our goal uh, is to have a healthy, safe uh, safe city. Um, so we applied for that funding and received one point eight million over uh, three years. So it's about six hundred thousand dollars a year, roughly. Uh, of that, $450,000 is a year is designated for grants to community organizations. So the first thing we did is put together um, um, uh, um, an open uh, discussion, a roundtable discussion, and then we uh, asked for applications and are appointing a steering committee uh, made up of people in the community, the people that are working in this area uh, each day. Mm-hmm. And from that will be applications for various grants on various aspects of building a health and safety community. And uh, the steering committee will then recommend uh, approval of the grants based on the criteria. So I, I gather, that I think Shea Heights and others may have made grant appeals already. How long before decisions get made by the steering committee to the best of your knowledge? So we expect that uh, uh, by the end of March, uh, we'll uh, we'll have the grants uh, approved and uh, then the grants are for a one-year period. So then the deliverables will be received uh, by the end of March next year. I think the deadline for applications is February, mid-February. Okay, thank you. That's that's helpful. Uh, A few other uh, newsworthy items that impact the, the city. Uh, announced, I think, last night or yesterday, the moving of the regatta next year to coincide with the, the Canada Games. The regatta, if I understand correctly, is going to be July 30th, uh, I believe. And yeah. then the, the Games, of course, are in August. How does that affect hol- the holiday? Will, will the same approach be taken that uh, rain or shine? You know, if, it, if it go, the regatta goes that day, then there's a civic holiday. Just some background on that and why, maybe a bit more detail on why that decision was made. Yeah, so there's a number of reasons why having the regatta the first Wednesday in August, which falls into the 2025 Canada Games, can't operate um, efficiently. And one of those is just resources. If you look at the resources that go into running a regatta, uh, those resources were also going to be tied up uh, at the at the summer games. So it's uh, so we we approached the when we were putting in the bid, we approached the regatta committee and requested that we move the, uh, the regatta forward to the to the week before uh, on that Wednesday, and that'll also be the holiday. Um, so it's been done only twice before, once for the 77 Canada Games and once for the Queen's visit. Um, in the, uh, I'm not even sure. Well, it's too bad John Perlin isn't with us anymore. Hey, Danny, he could tell us when that Queen's visit was. Of course, joking, John is a friend. John, John, would, John would tell us in great detail about that Queen's visit and when it was. So, uh, but, uh, but you know, this is just something that it's a, the Summer Games is a major event, uh, and in 77, it was necessary to move to regatta, and uh, with the concurrence of the regatta committee, we were able to make that change again for 2025. And the, munis- the munis- municipal, don't know why I can't say that word, holiday system will apply if the game, if the regatta goes that day, municipal holiday will be applicable? Absolutely. It'll. Uh, the only difference will be it'll uh, the regatta day in 2025, and the holiday will be the last Wednesday in July uh, instead of the first Wednesday in August. Um, one question, last question for you on the Canada Games, and that is. 
what, what, what is the update? I mean, they may seem far away, but uh, you and I both know these things come quickly. There's a lot of work that needs to be done beforehand. We've seen some stories uh, about Paradise in the Sand that generated a little bit of controversy. Of course, there's the big facility um, that the university, um, uh, university and yourselves are partnering on up by what used to be Canada Games Field there. Can you give us an update on where things are going? Yeah, so uh, so things are coming along. The uh, Canada Games um, um, host society has been adding employees. It's uh, working very hard, as you can imagine. The logistics and the detail in this is just uh, is just incredible. And they've, uh, along with the board, have been working very hard on uh, on preparing. Uh, work is moving along at the um, at the Westland Road site on the new uh, track and field and uh, soccer complex and uh, sports training facility. Uh, you would have noticed uh, Riverdale, for example, has been uh, resurfaced. Uh, work is expected to begin at um, Greenbelt uh, soon. And uh, we're, we're fortunate in that many of our facilities um, have been upgraded um, over the years. Uh, some of them were built for the 77 games, and we've invested in them since. So they require minor, uh, minor renovations. And uh, work is, is going to be completed by uh, uh, by the game start in uh, 2025. And are you finding the community there's an enthusiasm for this? And I ask that because I remember as a child the 77 games, and they were huge. I mean, everybody and their dog, it seemed, was at different events. There was great enthusiasm for it. A lot's changed in society in, in that 40-, 50-year period. But are you finding there's a, an enthusiasm? I think so. Tim, well, one of the big questions I get when I'm out is how do I volunteer for the games? And I expect that in 24, you're going to see the launch of the volunteer uh, recruitment drive. Um, and people are going to be able to sign up for the things that they want to uh, uh, participate in. It's uh, going to be, we're going to need, I think, close to 5,000 volunteers to uh, to make this work. So uh, we're going to be relying heavily on the volunteer community, as we did mm -hmm. in 1977. The other thing about the games in 25, we have some sports in there that I think are going to be a big hit in uh, in Newfoundland, Labrador, and in St. John's. Uh, certainly uh, rugby sevens. Oh, you, uh, Danny, now you're pandering to the host, but you're right. Good job. <laughs> Male, female, it's, it's going to be incredible. And I really believe that female baseball is going to be a big hit. In, uh, yeah, I think you're right on that. We've got some great female baseball players here, and uh, baseball is a is a is a popular sport in in St. John's. And I think uh, I think it's going to be a lot of excitement around it. So uh, all the athletes are going to be ready. We're working very close with the university, who are tremendous partners of ours. Um, in in terms of an athlete's village and the other amenities and requirements around that, so uh, it's a community is going to uh, uh, is going to come together on this, and it's going to be the best kind of summer games ever. Uh, well, and let, let's hope that's the case. It's a great sporting event. It's a great spectacle. It's great for any community that uh, has it. I know there are a lot of partners that are, are trying to pull this off with, uh, with, with excellence. All right, Danny, thanks for your time today. Much appreciated. And Tim, just one thing before sure. I go, just two, I was listening to Fred, and I too wanted to congratulate Chief Meister Joe on his retirement. Uh, actually, Chief Joe and I are doing a, a panel on, at the Pearson Center on Thursday on, uh, on the future of energy in Canada, but uh, 
uh, chief is the chief marshal Joe is a class act and a great Newfoundlander and Labradorian, and uh, certainly he'll be missed in uh, in in the public sector in Newfoundland. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for that. Take care. Okay. Thanks, Tim. Bye. Bye. That was uh, St. John's Mayor uh, Danny uh, Danny Breen. I just got to say, seventy-seven. I remember as a kid the great get and were those Adidas jackets that the volunteers got. Everybody wanted one. Can't wait to see what the merch looks like this time. All right, before we go to a break, I got to read this one. I, I love this. The Cherry Pickers with Ed Shurites from Stephen Paquette. Is it the voice of the common man or the voice of the common politician? Tim Powers is ridiculous. Stephen Paquette. Well, Stephen, I'll give you full marks for signing your name. Sorry, man, that I'm ridiculous. Just doing the best that I can. And I, I don't know that I've ever put my name on a ballot. But hey, whatever, man. Feel the way you feel. Listen. Uh, debate. That's what this show's all about. That's the big conversation in Newfoundland. Time for a break here. Now, when we come back, I'm going to try to go to Eugene and uh, Tom Davis, who've kindly been waiting here with you shortly on VOCM's Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. We're getting all the buttons pushed. You're now going to go to Tom Davis, who I've talked to before, but now Tom is a candidate in the ward for by-election, and he wants to talk about nanoplastics in drinking water and other issues, I guess, that have come up. Tom, how are you? Are you there, Tom? Can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Sorry to pile on with the politician thing, although I... I'd like to think I'm not the typical politician. <laughs> Time will tell on that one. So, yeah, um, last uh, about a week and a half ago, uh, the proceedings of the National Academy of Science of the United States of America published uh, in their article some studies uh, that have drawn a, a scary, um, put scary light onto nanoparticles of plastics and waters, and and. You know, it's just, I know it's people listen and they just think, oh, dear, here comes another thing. But unfortunately, um, we know we have a problem with plastic mm-hmm. and, and obviously the, the hue and cry of people. But the challenge with nanoplastics, so they're like really, really tiny things. And a lot of people think, oh, it's so small, it doesn't matter. Well, it's actually the opposite. The smaller something is, the more easily it can get into deep into the cells of our body. So, so instead of something being very big, and the same thing goes with our lungs, the smaller something is, the deeper it can get into our lungs and cause us trouble. So, so these nanoplastics, which they just did a, a study where they tested three very popular bottled water products, and it came out and said that there was hundreds of thousands of nanoplastics in each liter of water. And, you know, the challenge of that is it's kind of, there's a bunch of them, but but first of all, these nanoplastics they can just physically do harm. They can get in mm-hmm. your body, and they can just they can just wear and whatever else. But but they also can act as carriers to carry other things into your body, um, like carcinogenic items or even um, uh, back, bacteria and stuff like that that can actually cause you trouble. So so the, the doctors were quoted saying that these nanoparticles could actually be small enough to enter our cells, and actually even go as far as to cross the brain, the blood-brain barrier, which is actually very impermeable, relatively speaking, to protect our brain from toxins that would be in our floating around our body. And more, even more scary was the fact that it would cross the placenta, which again, the placenta yep. is designed to filter out bad things. And they did it. There was another study that showed that pregnant mice, within 24 hours of either breathing or eating plastic. The, the the baby mice in, in their baby would actually would have 
plastic in the brain, heart, liver, kidney, and lungs of the, de- of the developing baby. So, so all, all this, you know, being said is, you know, what can we do? Well, well, unfortunately, there's evidence now that shows that even the air that blows off the ocean or off a lake or just off the land has plastics in them because, unfortunately, a lot of the plastic, even if it goes to a landfill, it leaches out into the water. It blows into the air. So we have to figure out a way to just recognize as we look around at the choices we make is, you know, can we, can we reduce, can we, I mean, we obviously have to do some pretty dramatic things, but I, you know, on a very local level, I think in terms of these water bottles, so what they've determined is that the plastic actually like this, like your skin, it actually peels off inside and these small little particles. So, you know, what I want to talk about today is for everybody just to consider, we need hydration, obviously. And, and so, so we need water. We've got to consume water. So, you know, look at glass or metal uh, bottles to be able to use it. And let's, we've got, people don't really realize that, that bottled water actually is not tested by Health Canada. It's actually self-monitored, yeah. self-regulated. Now, that doesn't mean it's not, it's not clean, but, but our tap water, which comes out of the tap, is. So, Tom, just, just I, yeah. listen, I, this is all important information. How does this connect, or does it, or is this just a separate issue to what you're trying to do in the by-election? Well, it doesn't connect directly other okay. than the fact, you know, other, other than the fact I would like to tie a straight line between how good the water is in, in St. John's, okay. specifically in Ward 4, and encourage the residents you know, instead of having that bottle of water. And I, you know, what, what for me, it, the younger people are, the more impact these toxins will have on people. So when someone's playing in a sports team, you know, I think every, every child in that sports team should show up with their, with their reusable mm-hmm. water bottle, mm-hmm. so full of tap water that comes out of the, the clean, tested in 70 different places, water of the city of St. John's. And, and let's try and make a movement. Because, you know, I, I looked at, I tried to estimate, because you can't drill it down, but Canadians drink 6.2 billion dollars worth of water every year that works out to about 2.5 billion liters of water so if you break that down to newfoundland we're spending around 86 million dollars on water drinking 35 million liters of bottled water now i know there are communities you know mostly small communities in this province who unfortunately don't have good water and we're obviously not talking about but the vast majority of that water is getting getting drank by residents of this province and this city who actually have access right out of their tap yeah to better water so so I, my message would just be a straight line. What are we doing? Why are we wasting this money? Why are we, I mean, just think about the carbon footprint of that water that's gotta be produced in Ontario or even in France. Like who knows where this bottled water comes from and it gets transported and then we, we then go to the store, buy it, spend our hard earned money on it, go home, put it in our fridge, then we drink it, then we throw it out and then we have to pay our municipalities then to haul it, get sorted. Then we're gonna truck that to some recycling place. Maybe it gets recycled, maybe it doesn't, or maybe it leaches into our water streams. I think I think we can do a lot better. And I think if we just stop and think about it, you know, what I'm hoping what I'm saying is gonna resonate with people. Okay. And I'm you waited patiently. That's an important message. I, I've done a lot of work in this area as well too, and I know particularly with newer generations, millennials, Gen Z, they're very attuned to um, how you should consume water and the carrying devices that you have but i i i hear you i wish you good luck in the by-election i have to go to the news now tom uh i'm sure we'll talk again soon thank you take care everyone bye
All right, good first hour, Eugene, buddy. I am sorry you will get in. You're a patient man. Uh, We've just had a lot on the go, and your topic is equally important, but we will get there. Time for the news, though, now here on VOCM Open Line. Stay informed and have your say on the news of the day with your VOCM. Join Linda Swain weekday afternoons from 4 to 5 p.m. for an hour of talk and discussion with decision makers and listeners like you. News Talk on your VOCM. Welcome back to VOCM's Open Line. Again, a little bit of criticism from people this morning about politicians being on. Yes, guess what? They have things that are going on. It's a three-hour show. Everybody's going to get on. But we're going to stay with the theme of the by-election in Bell Island uh, and talk now to Dr. Amanda Bittner, who's now the department head. Amanda, good job. Congratulations. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's the right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, I, you know, we all know about the administrative side of it all. Yeah. I'm sure that makes you happy, but uh, they haven't shut down your your brain, so that's a good thing, and that's what I want to tap into <laughs> this morning. And look, you you and I uh, have seen lots of by elections everywhere, yep. all over the country. Yep. We have a, a by election here that is arguably high profile. We have the former conservative leader, David Brazel, who long represented Conception Bay, East Bell Island, stepping down. We have a roster of very good candidates contesting Mm -hmm. the seat, one of whom was very well known in Newfoundland and Labrador, Fred Hutton. The Mm -hmm. spin, as you know, is that this may be a bit of a a litmus test for whether there's an early election in Newfoundland and Labrador or not, given the toxicity of the federal federal liberals and the desire of provincial liberal mm-hmm. parties, be they in Newfoundland and Labrador or elsewhere, to uh, to run before Justin Trudeau and his federal liberals go to the polls. So yeah. what, <laughs> tell me if this by-election means anything or what do you think it means? What's your, your take on it all? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I mean, by-elections are always a little bit challenging to kind of generalize from because there's such a, a, a small snippet of the overall picture. And they're happening at a time when a lot of folks are not thinking about elections because it's not election time. And so often we see by-election turnout is not as high as it is during a major election. And so folks' attention to what's happening is not the same as it is during a regular election. So, you know, if you're running the government or if you're, you know, thinking about calling an election, you don't want to draw too many conclusions from the outcome of the by-election because it it may not translate completely. Um, But certainly I think that, you know, in this situation where the government has fielded a candidate that one can only suggest they think is a star candidate. Mm -hmm. You know, he's been working with the premier very closely for the last few years. Everybody knows who Fred Hutton is based on his long career in, you know, the media. Um, So I think that he's got a lot to lose, basically, is the way I would put it. So if he he doesn't win, even though it's currently or was just held by a PC, then that's a big symbol for the government to really think about, Okay, now what? What are we doing? What's going to happen? How can we how can we pull our boots back up or whatever socks back up and and really make this this big? But I think. You know, it's not easy to be a voter these days. Life is tough for everybody, and life is complicated, and everything costs a million dollars, and even mayonnaise costs $9, and it's hard to just feed your family and function on a daily basis. And so I think it's been a hard time, relatedly, to govern. You know, there's a lot of problems that people have that governments definitely can't fix, 
And there's a lot of things that governments can fix, but yet they're not. And so everybody's kind of frustrated. It's like a big old pot of stew of frustration right now, I think, around, across the country, here and elsewhere. I, I tell you what I also find interesting about this uh, is the communities in, that are part and parcel of this district. My yeah. experience with those communities is they're some of the most active and vocal yeah. around issues that matter to them. And we yeah. may get a different twist when it comes to voter turnout, because as you rightly point out, it's often lower. What kind of impact might the um, advocacy and the engagement of those communities have in this by-election? Well, I mean, elections are here to give people a voice about how they want their communities to be run, about what issues are important to them, about what they want governments to take seriously. And so the more, you know, putting on my kind of professor hat here for a second, the more that voters are politically engaged, the more that communities come together to have these kinds of conversations. And there's, I mean, there's a reason why elections are so important, and it's not just to sort of see governments change or to have some, some chance to elect somebody new or the same person or same parties or whatever. Part of it is that, that increased dialogue and debate that comes from when parties are out there canvassing and putting their ideas out there and asking voters to to tell them what's important to them and so on. And so that's been happening. Um, and that is really good. You know, the fact that folks are coming out to some of these debates, the fact that people are saying, okay, look, this is important to us. You know, the ferry in Bell Island is important to us. The fact that we have no garbage removal for the winter, I mean, that's just bananas. Um, and so there's issues that are real issues that affect voters and that voters have a chance right now to sort of say what they think. Um, and I think that's really important that voters actually take that chance. And I think you're right. Newfoundlanders and Labradorians are very political people. Um, you know, that doesn't always match with turnout rates. But I do think that all of us who live here care about this place, love this place, want it to do well and can see where it's not doing well. And I think that's part of this sense of community that we have, right? Mm -hmm. Where we think, you know, I know what's going on. I know my neighbors. I want us to all do well together. I want to make sure everybody's okay. And frankly, I mean, Tim, there's a lot of people that are not okay yeah. in this province right now. Yeah, so that's a big thing. I, just on a separate issue, uh, but it's something you've done a lot of work on, a lot of and a lot of excellent work on. It, it's really fascinating to me. Like as a subtext of this by-election, we have two female candidates and two yep. male candidates, and you've long been an advocate and rightly so of more equality in politics, and you've yep. written well about the barriers that are often there to to, to women trying to enter politics, mm -hmm. and we're still way behind in all of this. Yep. Anything you can import in terms of meaning? And both these candidates also very well-known locally, have yeah. seen as advocates and champions. What, what, what would you like to say about that? I mean, what I would say is that we have here in this by-election a number of really high-quality candidates who have done a lot for their communities, um, regardless of their sex or gender. Um, and I think that that is great. And so what we want to see is parties putting forward strong candidates from across all kinds of sociodemographic demographic factors, you know, so yes to gender, yes to race, yes to diversity in general. And I think that the more that parties can do to bring forward their best candidates and because, you know, you have to actually convince people to want to run. Yeah, and <laughs> which is not easy people, in this day and age. It's not easy. No, it's not easy at all because it's a hard job and it's not a nice job at all times. And I'm sure that all these candidates know on some level that there's going to be some difficult moments and have experienced them themselves from the stuff that's, you know, that they've been doing so far in the community. Um, it's a hard job. And 
so a lot of people, and that includes women who are very smart, look at this and say, why in hell would I want this job right now? This is terrible. This is a hard job right now. It's a tough time for a lot of people. And the solutions that we need for the kind of problems we have in the province and in the country more broadly are, are hard solutions. There's no easy solutions right now. And so being a politician right now is actually tough. Um, and I'm always happy when I'm not in charge of anything because I don't know that I have any of the solutions. And <laughs> Are you so listening, political, political science students at Memorial? This is your <laughs> department head. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's, it's a little, the little, spot, little spot that I have some control over. I'm doing my best. It's not easy, right? Like, it's, it's hard. It's definitely hard. Uh, all right. One last question. Simple one. Uh, and I got about a minute and a bit. Um, well, look, the federal polls are fascinating at the moment. They show mm-hmm. every polling organization, mm-hmm. ours included, show the conservatives with a fairly significant lead. Does that mean anything right now, given that an election is, you know, 18 to months away, two years away? You know, yes and no. Anything can happen in 18 months to two years, for sure, um, unless they call the election early, which is also possible. And we're hearing rumors about that every day as well. I think the thing that we're seeing with the polling numbers is a real sense of frustration across the country. Voters are not happy with the state of the country at the moment. Life is really hard right now, right? The the cost of heating, the cost of food, unemployment rates, inflation rates. You know, we're just coming out of a pandemic. People are still getting sick. It's not really gone. And the last few years have been really, really hard. And so it's been really, really hard to govern, but at the same time, it's been really, really hard just to exist and survive. Um, and so I think a lot of folks are, are kind of tired with the way things have been going, and that's true both provincially as well as federally. And I think folks really want to see something different. Um, I'm, I don't know that that means that they know what they want um, in terms of policies, but I think that they know that they want to change. And I think that it would be... I think it's a a big uphill to climb for the government right now to convince voters that they need to stay in power. I'm not seeing that vibe. But again, anything can change. Um, But I do think that, you know, something has to happen to demonstrate to voters, okay, here's some solutions to these really hard problems. We know what to do, and we're going to now do it. But we're not seeing that, so it's it's tough. Yeah, it's a peekaboo game around policy now. Yeah. Uh, to the coolest ever head of the Department of Political Science, <laughs> you can go back and administer your fiefdom. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thanks, Tim. Take <laughs> care. Bye. Bye. All right, Eugene, buddy, you are next. But first, standing in your way is a commercial. Back with you, Eugene Nippert, after this. Welcome back to Open Line. We're going to go right to line number two. Three, Eugene, you have been patiently waiting, my friend. The show is yours. Go for it. Tim Powers, it's <laughs> always to get to speak to you. Tim uh, does an excellent job, and I listened to your report from Ottawa to VOCM, and you does an excellent job. Thank you, Eugene. I'm glad somebody likes it getting a little criticism this morning, but that's part of this gig. Anyway, you wait long enough. Nobody needs to hear my gums flap for this moment, so you go ahead. No criticism from me. But anyway, Tim, uh, yeah, thank you. And to the listeners out there, we got, uh, you know, um, major issues on our hands with the air amlet system. Uh, Tim, uh, we started uh, we started the group in, in March of 2018, and some of the issues were back then is uh, we needed the the uh, air ambulance used uh, to fog on instead of the ferry at night, and which was a major problem and shagging up everyone's schedule the next day, doctor's appointments, dialysis and everything. We actually had people moved, had to move that was on dialysis because of the ferry service in the mornings. 
you know, it's been a battle, and the other issues were due spade, no coverage after 10 p.m. at night. We were fighting that issue. So we're, we're fighting for central and rural Newfoundland and Labrador. That's what this group, the Air Ambulance Medical Transport Advocacy Group, that's what we're, we've been okay. doing. Another big one, Tim, was to add the air ambulance closer to the patient because Minister Aggie at the time says it's very important, of course, and he's a doctor, he would know. And Premier, uh, Premier Fury also said the same thing. We got to have the ambulance closer to the patient. Time is a factor. It could be a matter of life or death. So we tried to get air ambulances based in central Newfoundland, in Gander, which is closer to, to, to St. Anthony, Bear Lake, wherever, right? Right. And... And, and for Guam, of course, 18 minutes away. But anyway, so uh, we haven't had no luck. And uh, we had ambulances added to the system because right now there's two government, one uh, uh, one uh, PAL and two EVASIR in the system. So we got five in the system, one in Goose Bay and four on the Avalon in St. John's. So we've been fighting that issue, especially with two from central Newfoundland, why wouldn't they base them in central Newfoundland with medical personnel? What's happening now, Tim, is is they're crisscrossing the province. Like a friend of mine had an emergency in Gander just recently, had to be had to get an ambulance coming to St. John's when there was an ambulance in Gander, air ambulance in Gander. I mean, it's just not making sense to the public. And when I go out there, and, and a lot of people know me because I've been on the open line show or whatever, uh, they says, what's going on with the government? How come they're making the plans they are? So they got an RFP now, Tim. Yeah, I, I'd seen, yeah, and just uh, I, I know some people that are pretty Pursuing it, and this is the the RFP that combines all of the um, the services together in one. Is that correct, Eugene? Yep. yep. Okay, go ahead. You go ahead. And it's supposed to be finalized by the first of April. Now that's a group from as a company from the states that's shoving this down our throat, and we got people in the system that knows the system, like Julian Kennedy and Michelle Breen and all these people, and and they, they know the system well. I mean, you know, they're into it every day. Plus, you know, there's the the, the, the operators. I mean, Pal and Evis, and 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 groups like us that knows what's necessary for the province. So to get a group come out of, from out of the province to shove it down the throat, it's not it's not good. It's just not good enough. And and we. But is there just just on that and. and uh, I don't know, you, you know this stuff better than I do, but my, look, sometimes we do need to get eyes from outside of the province to maybe give yep. a look and a validation. Ultimately, it's up to the government, is it not, to decide what they take and what they don't take in terms of advice? You're darn right. You got it right. Like the, the minister, Osborne, is saying, even saying things like, because we've been responding to this, you know, trying to get some sense to it. He's been responding, saying, well, 75 percent of the population lives on the Avalon. They should have four ambulances there. 50 uh, percent of the medical personnel is on the Avalon. We should have the air ambulances there. Uh, you know, like, but that does not make sense to the to the to the, the rural and, 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 and central Newfoundland and Labrador, because you know, like these people don't need an ambulance, an air ambulance. They can go in the road ambulance to the art science center, but 5% of the time you need an air ambulance in there, that will be for the Janeway or transplants on the, on the mainland. So why do you need them in there the other 95% of the time? It's just not making sense. Tim, we're having people dying, waiting for air ambulance. Time consuming and, and crisscrossing the province, costing the province millions of unnecessary dollars. Say that emergency, I was telling you about my friend. So yeah. the Hamlets, the lead, Air Ambulance should have to leave Gander, go to St. John's, pick up medical personnel, and come back to Gander to pick up the patient. 
So, Eugene, let me ask you this. And sorry, sorry to interrupt, because you and I have talked about this often. And I look, I know people in this space, and you've named some of them. Who is doing, what's the best model in your view then? Like, what would, would work for Newfoundland, and why haven't we come up with it then? Because the bureaucracy in the system, I guess, is not listening. Because Minister Aggie has said when he was the, the minister that it's going to get done. The premier said it's going to get done. And now we're dealing with, with Minister Osborne and, and Minister Habit. So why isn't it get done? These ministers should be controlling what's happening in their departments. But they're not because they're agreeing with us. And, and, and it's not getting done. So you layer things on the radio like that. Now, yesterday he came up because he had a minister. He had a meeting with the, with the uh, the mayor of Gander, who's been fighting this issue also to keep the jobs in Gander and keeping air ambulances in Gander, uh, said that, uh, you know, the, the art, what was it, the art? Uh, oh, the, the heart force or whatever they're calling it. Yes. The yeah, this is the next one he came up with. The heart force uh, system is going to be in Gander now, and they're going to be refueling. Well, come on, boy. Yes, sir. That's going to be a lot of jobs, no doubt about it. And we don't use choppers very much, I tell you, for for air ambulances, for uh, the emergencies. Why would we when we got hair strips around the province and we got air five air ambulances? Except, uh, is it not the case, and I, and I know we've been waiting a long time, and I'll give you one more minute, but is it not the case with uh, with helicopters that can get into places that, you know, fixed-wing aircraft can't? And that's important, too. I mean, I look at Orange in Ontario and what they do, uh, STARS in Saskatchewan, to full disclosure, we've done some work with them in the past, what they do to get into places where there aren't airstrips. And that can make it, that can make a real difference in terms of life and death. Yes, yes. Rightfully so, Tim. About five percent of the time, you would need need helicopter state like the change Islands or probably down in in Arbor Britain or or Burgi or somewhere like that. But you're saying air fixed wing can do the other ninety five percent of the time. That's ninety five percent, and we got two in the system from Gander. Okay. We got two in the system from Gander, and they won't base them in Gander. So they're in St. John's on the tarmac with no 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 uh, terminal building, and they won't let them go into government terminal building. Uh, and they're froze over with, with freezing freezing ice, with freezing rain, and they got to be de- towed over to be deoiced. All these things are at which is, and okay. then the patient is waiting for the ambulance. It's just not making sense. They got to listen, and we need the the, the the town councils, not only the mayor of Gander. We need all mayors. We need central and rural Newfoundland and Labrador. To come on side with us to work this issue okay. out because it'll be better for the patient, time consuming, and save the province millions of dollars because they're crisscrossing the province like a yo yo. All right. Well, we'll end on the crisscross of the yo yo because I want to get one more call in. Thank you for your patience. Always look forward to talking to you, Eugene. We'll keep monitoring this issue. Thank you, brother. And I hope everyone to speak up on this. We need it. We need more voices. Thank right. you, Tim. Take care. Bye. Have a good one. All right. Aaron Butler, also waiting a long time. Uh, Aaron is with uh, Habitat for Your Humanity. Aaron, are you there? And I'm sorry again. It was jammed with calls this morning. But you're the Habitat for Humanity Manager of Family Services and Community Engagements. What would you like to talk about this morning? Hi. Um, no trouble about the wait. Everybody has some very important and interesting conversations. So I've actually really been enjoying listening to the show. Um, so as you uh, had said, I'm the manager of uh, family services and volunteer engagement here at Habitat Newfoundland and Labrador. And I wanted to uh, call in today to ensure as many people as possible are aware that we have currently have our expression of interest open for um, a triplex that we're building on Eric Street. Okay. So we are going to be looking, we're actively looking for three new families to join our program. And how would people who are interested apply to that? 
Well, um, it's a pretty easy process initially, so you can head on over to our website. Our website is www.habitatnl.ca. Under the Home Ownership tab, um, you're going to see right at the top of the page, Call for Expression of Interest now open. So they can click on that and they can fill out, it's a fillable form. Um, There's also a a downloadable PDF there for somebody who uh, would prefer not to, um, you know, to fill out the online form. And I understand as well, we will take some information we we can give out some information here dave our producer who is probably the greatest assistance to many people in this province willing to take it uh what brought you to a place of doing this i mean you have it at few many done some great stuff everywhere that i know of um what uh, what what brought you to this particular initiative well, um, Habitat has been working with the City of St. John's for uh, quite some time on uh, this particular piece of property. Um, so we uh, we finally got uh, everything straightened out, um, you know, say, you know, late, middle to late last year. Um, so this is actually going to be the first build that we've had in the uh, St. John's area since 2017. So it's very exciting. Um, and uh, yeah, we're in the very early stages here now and uh, ready just about for framing. So it's you know, it's a very exciting time and uh, really exciting to get some new families on board. Well, we hope you get a pickup. As I say, you guys do fantastic work and you create opportunity for people that they wouldn't otherwise have. And thank you again, Erin. You had to wait a long time. I'm glad you enjoyed the conversation, but uh, glad we got to talk to you too. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Take care. Bye. You too. Bye. All right. Time for a break here on VOCM's Open Line. Back with more of your calls after this. Welcome back to Open Line. Uh, Again, a lot of commentary this morning, and I'm sorry if people aren't liking this, but uh, it's important to have around Chief uh, Meisel Joe, who is stepping down as the administrative chief. He has been there in that role for 30 years and prior been working in the community for 50 One of the people who would like to speak about uh, the chief is Senator Judy White, a new senator. I've not yet had the opportunity to talk with her or meet her, but I'm happy to have her on to talk about uh, Chief uh, Meisel Joe. Uh, Senator White, how are you? I'm great this morning, Tim. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Tell us about Chief Meisel Joe and your, uh, your experiences with him and how he is viewed. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Um, Chief Mizel Joe is probably the most spiritual uh, person I know. He's a doctor. He's an elder. He's a sagama. Uh, he holds an honorary law degree at MUN. Uh, he is an Order of Canada recipient. Uh, but most importantly, uh, he is a kind, uh, patient, and very humble uh, person, which is not usually seen in leadership and leadership roles. <laughs> Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> and he has a fabulous sense of humor. I think it was Fred that mentioned it earlier uh, this morning, and I, I concur because he is. Uh, he, and humor is certainly very much part of our culture, and uh, he he brings that to all that he does in spades. And what what will his legacy be? Not not just for his people, because I think he's made enormous contributions there. <clears throat> Excuse me, but he's made enormous contributions to the province and the country. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think he, it, there's so much for his legacy and, and not just, you know, the, the repatriation of the biotic remains. But I think that he moved the awareness and the understanding of the Indigenous people in this province and in this country to a place now where 
uh, it's okay to say you're Indian. Mm-hmm. And he's, he, he's worked so hard within. Uh, I mean, I am a senator because mm-hmm. uh, it was Chief Joe's wish. Chief Joe was very uh, adamant that, you know, we need to see our faces, our Indigenous faces, in all these places, in all these places where decisions make, whether it's at uh, assistant deputy minister positions, within government, within the, the mining, the energy field, we need to be everywhere. So he's very much, I think, epitomizes what Indigenous people hold dear is that we look to the future and we look to the seven generations. And I think that's Chief Joe's legacy. He's brought us to that place where we can still look forward now. And it's interesting, Senator, what you said something there that really resonated with me. And, and that is that it always, whether it's Indigenous or non-Indigenous, uh, wasn't always the case where male leaders encouraged female uh, leadership aspirants, particularly, you know, 30, 40 years ago. What what was different about Meisel Joe that that made him see that, you know, gender should not be an obstacle to leadership? I, I think uh, Chief Mizell Joe uh, was raised in a very traditional home uh, where, you know, actually it was probably the, the, we're a matriarchal society, so it was the, the, the woman, his yes. grandmother, and his mother would have been the backbone. So he came from with, with that ingrained in him, so it was very easy uh, for him to promote uh, women. I mean, most of his uh, general managers and managers in the past in his, in his uh, administrative organization have been females, and he rightly recognize uh, our places in our communities and in our society. Uh, and, and that was refreshing because, you know, in, a, in mainstream society, you don't see uh, too many uh, females or certainly men uh, promoting females in, in our various roles and positions. No, and uh, it, as you say, it's, uh, it, it's so wonderful to see. La- last question for you. How's the Senate been? <laughs> it's an interesting time. I mean, that's a simple one. How's it been so far? Well, I think we, met, we should meet in Ottawa and have that discussion. <laughs> that's definitely another conversation. It's been, no, uh, seriously, though, I feel quite privileged uh, when I walk in there every day, and I'm the first one there, so I'm still on Newfoundland time uh, every day. But it, it's been a, a fabulous experience, a, quite a learning experience, I mm-hmm. have to admit. Uh, but uh, one that I'm, I'm enjoying immensely. Well, I look forward to meeting you in Ottawa. Thank you for your words about Chief Meisel, uh, Joe, today. And uh, enjoy your political journey. We need good leadership more than ever at the moment. And as you say, not all ego-driven. That's important, too. Perfect. Thank take, you, Tim. Have a take great day. Take care. Bye. All right. Our next uh, next caller. Uh, he's been on the radio a bit these days because he's speaking about an important issue, is the opposition House leader for the Conservatives, Barry Pettin, talking about uh, the PC caucus withdrawing from the Election Reform All-Party Committee. Barry, I've, I've heard this story in a couple of different ways. I've heard your version. I've heard uh, Minister Hogan's version, if I understand your version of it, and please correct me where I'm wrong, I know you will do that, uh, that um, this thing just wasn't really going anywhere despite all of the words. There hadn't been meetings, progress was slow, and you weren't sensing um, a substantive commitment. Minister Hogan says that's different. But anyway, let's focus on you and your take on this right now. Do I have most of that right? Yeah, and actually a pretty good synopsis, Tim, actually. Uh, you have... Uh 
Yeah, I mean, you're correct when you say. I mean, we, back in 2021, I mean, after that 21 election, it was, I mean, let's be honest, probably in the case of the pandemic election, it was chaotic. There was people, you know, lost the right to vote or, or perceived right. There were a lot of unanswered questions. There were a lot of things that went wrong. we all seen it. That wasn't being political. We all, all saw it, seen that issue. And, mm-hmm. and I had a 96-year-old lady in my own district, never got the right to vote, lost her turn to vote. And it was something that will stick with me forever. And I've talked about it. My caucus hear me say this often. And it, it was near and dear to me, especially a female, and that woman, you know, strongly believed in her rights, and she lost her right to vote, and I firmly believe it was chaos that the elections office caused that to happen, and it stuck with me, of course. But Tim, to the committee, I mean, we we said, we originally wanted to investigate, a full investigation on an election, throw it all out there, let's get an independent person go in and have a deep dive and ask questions. When it was raw, emotions were raw in the spring of 21, prime time, get it done then, and that's when people were more engaged, refreshing their minds, they were willing to talk. Government, in their wisdom and their right, as a majority government, decided they didn't want to go that route. They said they pointed all party committee, which we reluctantly agreed because NDP backed away because they didn't think it was, you know, it was going to work out. So we've come to that realization ourselves. But we, in a spirit of goodwill, we continued on, and me and my colleagues from uh, Arbor, Maine, and. Uh, Cape St. Francis, MHA's Conway uh, Hot and Armour, and while we decided we would stay there as a caucus and, and hear it out and try to do better, because, I mean, this election act needs to be modernized. And what we've seen, Tim, is really nothing short of we've had, uh, I know I've read somewhere the minister saying about consultations, and I agree to extra consultations. We wrote letters, we made calls, I spoke to the minister repeatedly several numerous times. Uh, we didn't feel the consultations were adequate. I mean, you had 40 people. They don't engage in that one across the province of Newfoundland and Labrador and 40 people. Mm-hmm. But they've done it almost a year later in a 30-degree temperature. Newfoundland, as you can attest to, when you get to temperatures in 30 degrees in Newfoundland, <laughs> you're not worried about politics and elections. I mean, we're, we're in a different mindset. We're trying to enjoy the weather. So we said maybe we should move that out to September, October, when people are more focused on, on those issues, which, which fell on deaf ears. So then when we come up, uh, we come up in the spring of 23, we wrote a detailed letter expressing our concerns, and I mean, a, and I mean the letter is there to see if anyone wanted to look at it. And that was met with, we had a meeting on it, I don't even know who discussed the letter, it was a, you know, it was kind of an adversarial meeting actually, I had with a couple of liberal members in the room at the time, and I just said, well, very good, we move on. So then people got to realize it wasn't any intentional play for us to wait this long, we were dealing with a leadership race. So I mean, our leadership never ended like October, next day we're in the House Assembly. So this issue of us staying or going on this committee, this has been something that we We've been throwing around our room for a long time. This is useless. We have had no input. So, you know, we decided after we met last week, we're going to pull away from it, which makes sense to me. We should have done it before now. Mm-hmm. And then we get a meeting invite to come in and talk about proposed changes. Now, Tim, I'm on all-party committees, and I've been, I mean, anywhere we get an all-party committee, everyone's supposed to throw this on the table, have discussions, let's see what's right, let's see what's wrong, bring it back to your individual caucuses, have that discussion back and forth. That's the way they're supposed to work. And then end of the day, we'll come to an agreement that there's where was a gray area around certainty, the chair and government has the power, they have more members than anyone else, they can override that decision if they feel strongly. And that's fine, we go in there eyes wide open for that, but that's not what happened to him. And we got a, you know, we got the meeting invites, we're going, we do want to bring us in type of proposed changes. And I mean, the minister then gets on to say that he contacted every MHA a year, year and a half later, but we're representative of our caucuses. Each of us are representative of our caucuses. And we got, I, I submitted to the online portal for Engage NL, I submitted my concerns. I put them in, my money my, my is a written, concern, a written issue, and I know I had others do it as well. Now, whether the numbers were 20 or 10 or 200, I don't even know what they were. They weren't very high. 
Uh, you know, the minister, my old problem with it all was the process. So, I mean, I called the minister yesterday and before I issued a release and I chatted with him. I told him what my concerns were. I didn't believe in blindsiding them, and I told them up front what the mm-hmm. issues were, and we agreed to disagree, and we got a great relationship, and we move on. So, I mean, okay. you know, the minister, the minister, I mean, made those comments, and I, I get it. I understand that. But the fact of the matter is, Tim, uh, we can't be rubber stamping blindly agreeing to, uh, you know, decisions that of importance of, of election reform and just rubber stamping stuff and not the way we do business. Hey, Barry, a quick question on this, and, and John Hogan, the minister, is welcome to call in, too, and he, we had him, he certainly was on the news earlier. How do you get the public to care about this? Because you know the experience with this, my experience with this. Everybody, you know, unless you're an, unless you've been screwed, like the woman you reference, yep. or you're an hardcore electoral reform advocate, most people don't give a damn about this stuff. So, give me your pitch as to why people should care and what they need to do. No, Tim, it's, it's a good point. That's that's the issue, and I think so, the problem was we lost it on time. That's what we felt right after when the House convened in the spring of '21. When everyone, you know, I had the, it was a regular conversation in coffee shops and people who chatted about it and, and the social media world and that about the election situation. When people was wrong, people's mind, that was the time to strike. By delay, and that was our concern from the get-go, the longer this went on, I think we were quoted saying that the longer this goes on, this issue will become exactly what you're saying. People will be disengaged, and hence is this what happens. So, you know, I hope the government comes out with a good piece of legislation, and if they will debate it in the House, and we'll have no problem if it's a good piece. We, we're, not, we're, not, we're not there to be obstructed, but to have our names attached to something we had no input in. I mean, even if it is good, that's not fair order. So that was our decision. So, you know, it's, it is what it is, I guess. All right. We'll leave it there. We'll watch it, Barry. Uh, uh, thanks for the call today. Look forward to chatting you again, with you again soon. Tim, uh, if I can have one minute, I know you're <laughs> I, I love you guys. All right, no, I'm not no, finished. I've got something I want to say. All right, yeah. you can have one minute for <laughs> good behavior. To, uh, yeah, no, I just wanted to remark on, uh, you know, uh, Fred Houghton actually, was re- I read an article today, and actually uh, he made reference on the debate on Belong this past weekend that if you need your roads paved, you know, he's, if he's a member, he'll just pick up his phone, call the Minister of Transportation Works, and it'll be done. I thought that was offensive to anyone in the House of Assembly, even his own colleagues who would need roads paved, and I listen to them all the time, they're dire need. I mean, that reckons back to Joey Smallwood days when Joey would say that uh, if he stayed in the one spot long enough to spread her, during the next time the asphalt spreader would go over your boots. And you've heard that quote of him, we all have. Anyway, I just thought that was disingenuous, to be quite frank with you, and uh, we all fight and we all lobby, each 40 of us I do for individual districts. And to say you're up in the Premier's office and you've got a good relationship with the Premier, and you're to make a phone call. I thought it was disingenuous and it's not fair to the process and it's not fair to actually it's not fair to his own colleagues or anyone else in the House of Assembly. And I thought it was it was a poor taste and I think that uh, I know he was on your program earlier today and uh, this morning and uh, yeah and no, I just fig- I figured it was uh, fear ball to uh, to make that comment and uh, Fred should know better. I mean he's up in the Premier's office, he's working with the Premier, he knows the way this game works and uh, I thought it was uh, it was uh, not a good comment. Alright I, I I'm sure he's here in the knuckles rapping. The only thing I would say in his defense and other politicians' defense. Not the first time or the last time, I suspect. That we'll hear that, but your point is fair, uh, fair, Barry, and, uh, and good on you. Anyway, good to talk to you. We'll uh, look forward to talking to you again. Thank you, Tim. All take right, care. take care. Bye. Bye. Okay, that was Barry, uh, Barry Patton. Uh, and, oh, can't drop him there. Dave, you can do that for me. And coming up after the break, uh, Miss Tuck wants to talk about home care, so we will talk to her after the break here on VOCM's Open Line.
Welcome back to Open Line. Uh, it's been a great show so far. Yes, we've had a lot of politicians, but that's all right. That's what the producer does to me. I get them all when Patty's away, and that's okay. But now we're going to talk to Miss Tuck about home care. Hello. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing pretty good, thank you. Well, that's great. Um, what uh, Home care, what specifically is going on in terms of your interest? Okay. What I'm saying is, uh, what I want to express my uh, feelings about is, uh, how come, I'd I like to know the answer to this, and I want a straight answer. Uh, <laughs> if anybody could answer it for me. Uh, how come that uh, a friend can't do home care for somebody? Well, I guess they can, but I don't, uh, I guess. Yeah, but see, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, she got Parkinson's disease, and she took me in as a friend. I've known her for years. And when she took me in as a friend, I had nowhere to go, and I had nowhere to put me in. So over the years, uh, she got Parkinson's disease, and she needs 24-hour care. And what I'm saying is, uh, I was talking to own care people, and they tell me that I cannot work for her because I live in, live in their house. And how am I supposed to get anywhere with no car and I can't drive and get anywhere to do anything? And I have to live in with her because there's no other way. Hey, where am I going to live? Hey, she took me in as a friend. And uh, so the answer is to me, they told me yesterday when they called here for the interview, well, you cannot uh, work for her because you're living in. And I don't understand. I'm not family. I'm only a friend. I'm not family. Not forever. I'm not family. So the question is, what is the policy, what is, what is the, the thing that, in, the, in the system and to the, the government? You know, I don't think it's fair to other people out around in Newfoundland. I don't think that they should be uh, stopped to uh, go to work. I'm on a little bit in from... Uh, come from Walker. I get $161, and I figured I'd get off that and go to work. That's what the government wants, people to get off that and go to work. Okay, I'm trying to do that, but they're telling me I cannot work with this lady because uh, I live in with her, and I wanted to know why Why is that? I'm not family. I'm not, not one bit in the world. I'm not a peck of family. Yeah, I'm I- only a friend. I, I I don't know, Miss Tuck. We will try and, and, and get your answer. I'm sure they have reasons, but I'm glad you've raised it. Uh, I mean, what what have you picked up when you've been asking this question elsewhere? Well, like this now. Uh, uh, I'm not trying to be blunt or nothing. <laughs> you can be you know, blunt. That's what we like on this show. You'll be blunt. You know, I don't like to be sucky either. But you know what? Uh, why is it other people can do what they like? and get away with it. And uh, and when it comes to the honest person and a good person, it's not allowed to do anything. That's not fair to the Newfoundlanders. Uh, that's wrong. That's wrong, whatever. I, I don't agree. I don't agree. And I'm not a liar, and I will not be telling any lies about it. I'll tell the truth. And, I mean, the lady that I live with right now, is, is she needs 24 care in, in the system. And uh, they're telling me yesterday when he phoned her, a sassy little guy that phoned her from 
doctor saying that I cannot work for her because I live in there. That's not the case. She 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 was ill all the time by herself, and when she did, she didn't eat. She was uh, losing weight and everything, and and she wasn't. She fell down a lot, and she can't walk and everything else. She got used a cane and a walker and a wheelchair, and I moved in and I agreed to help her out. And uh, now the family and her want me to get a pay from it, from home care. And I said to her, no, leave it alone, hey. But no, they're fighting with me, they wanted me to have uh, a pay and get off this welfare. Because I only get $161 from welfare. Not enough to keep me going. Okay. And, and uh, you know, it's not fair. And where I look at it, they put me down, they put an army of lenders down. Well, nobody should. You Listen, to your point on that one, nobody should be putting anybody down. And if the fellow, as you say, I think he used the word saucy, was saucy to you, that's not right at all. No, it's not right, my lover. No. And I think the answer that I want to know, uh, right straight in, if, if anybody can answer it for me, my darling. The people around uh, the area that I live in is getting uh, uh, I don't care if they're working for their, their mother-in-law. They're working for this and that. And they're getting away with it. And there it is. I'm a honest person and a good person. Mm-hmm. And I don't put my, I, I don't praise myself up much. But you know what? Uh, not only for me, but I'm saying it for the Newfoundlanders. They should be equal. Uh, they, they should be allowed to go to work if they want to get off welfare and get off this, this uh, going on with, with uh, living on streets and everything else. Uh, I think that uh, they should be equal. Everybody should be working, you know? Mm-hmm. And and get off this welfare, because welfare is nothing. And you know what? They're, they're telling me yesterday when they phoned here for the interview to come here, oh no, you can't go to work there because I live in here. I'm not family. I'm only a, a friend, and I, I moved in here because I had no way to poke my head. And the lady that I reared up with for years decided to take me in for the half hour. And now, in the last year, they've been keeping on at me, and I've been putting it up. And they've been saying to me that I need to get paid for what I do, because I do a good lot. I cook meals for, clean for, do a lot. Like a home care worker. And you know what? They wanted me to get a pay. And her family, because she got a sister that's blind, and most of her, her family is deceased now. And she got nobody, only herself. And I think that equal uh, people should be, you know, yeah, and, and give the people of the province uh, a fair chance. All right, well, 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 thank you. You've you've had a good chance, fair chance to make your case here. We'll see if we can do some digging to find out what else is uh, uh, what might be at play here. I'm sorry, as you described it, that somebody was rude to you. That should uh, should never happen yes. in any capacity. Yes. And but you know what? I want to know the answer. Why? Well, 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 we. A friend can work for someone like that. Uh, again, I'm That's what I want to know. If, if they say yes to me, I can go to work there? Fine and dandy. I'll go back to the guy that was saucy, and I'll go back to him, and I'll say, now, what did you say to me? I couldn't go to work here. Hey, now, you're the fool, and I'm the best one, eh? <laughs> well, I don't think you certainly don't sound like a fool to me. Anyway, I will leave it there. I appreciate your call today. And, and like I said, put it in over your... your you, well, you've done a good job doing that this morning. That, what, what the problem is, and see if anybody could phone in and tell me uh, how the system should work. 
All right. I can know what I'm doing. All right. Well, you've done a good job of putting it out there. I thank you for that. We will uh, we will try and get you an answer. Thank you for your call today. You're welcome, and thank you for listening. And I mean, uh, yes, I I I, I think that uh, if people want to get off welfare, I think that people should and go to work. Hey. No, absolutely. It's important that people all have. All have meaningful work. It's uh, absolutely no, vital. No, I'm not a lazy person. I, I, I no, want to no. get off welfare. I want to get off this old system and go to work. And, and let, let someone else, you know? Yeah, no, no. all right. I got to let you go. I got to let you go, Miss Tuck. You made a very good f- series of points. Thank you very much. Okay, thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye. All right, very passionate. And if you do know the answers to her question, please do call. Uh, She makes some legitimate points. Time for a break here, though, on VOCM's Open Line. We've got some news coming up and more of your calls after that. Welcome back to Open Line. we got lots of space for your calls on every topic imaginable. Right now we're going to talk to Molly, who's got uh, going to tell us about a lost dog, which she may have found or is looking for. Molly, tell us what's going on with the lost dog, please. Hello, are you there, Molly? Dave, do we have Molly there? There you are. You there, Molly? I'm here. Yeah, I am. Go ahead. Okay, uh, there's a black dog uh, with a red collar on it. It uh, looks to be probably an Irish Setter type dog uh, on Sequa Drive in the Southlands, and it's running up and down like it's lost. So I tried to get it in my truck so I can bring it to the pound, but uh, I couldn't get him in there. <laughs> and you uh, just you've just seen that? Uh, That's just this is this morning, is it? Uh, actually, this is right now. Like, I've been following him because he's been running across the street and that, too. So I'm trying to keep an eye on him. Okay. And you see it's a set. Did you say it was a setter? Sorry, I missed part of that. It's, yeah, it's like a setter, like that type of a dog. Uh, thin, you know, um, and it's black and it's got a red collar. That's... Okay. Um, all right. Well, I appreciate it. And it says, you say it's by Sequad Drive. Okay. That's up in the south line. All right, perfect. That's very kind of you. And uh, if you have lost that dog, uh, Molly's giving you a good description of where it is. Or if you can help uh, get the dog and get it to the pound so whoever lost it can get the dog back, uh, that would be great. Thank you, Molly. Thank you for waiting. Very welcome. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye. I can tell you, having lost a cat in uh, in the fall, and if you're the owner, that's so uh, gut-wrenching. In particular, if you don't know the animal's lost, um, the gut-wrenching maybe hasn't started. But uh, we've got good listeners here, as Molly has demonstrated. So if you know who might own that dog or you own that dog or you can help get that dog back to where it needs to go, please help out. All right, we're going to go to Colin, who wants to respond, who has a response to Miss Tuck. Colin, how are you? Not too bad. How about yourself? Oh, boy, I'm all right this morning. A lot of things flying around here. You sound like you're driving, are you? I am, yes. Okay, well, you know, hands-free, I hope. We don't want to get you in trouble. Well, actually, I'm a passenger. Okay, uh, even better, even better. Go ahead. You got to respond. I may drop the call because of where I'm driving to, but hopefully that doesn't happen. Okay. <laughs> I just wanted to make a suggestion to the lady that just called in because it's a horrible story that she just spoke to us. Um, but I just thought that, like, since she is so honest and that's, there's, that's great, and I don't want her to change that or do anything like the law or anything like that, 
But I was just thinking that if the family is okay with it, perhaps her the, the lady with Parkinson's family may be willing to move her in with them, like the, the one that is applying for home care worker, mm-hmm. and move her in with them and change her residence to their address, and then she could reapply for the job without being an without actually living with the lady, her friend. Right. She she may become eligible for the position then, right? And since she needs twenty four hour care, after she has the job, she'll be with her friend for twenty four hours. You know what I mean? She could keep if the family's okay with it, she could keep her residence with her fa- with the, the patient's family. Mm-hmm. And just stay with the patient and provide care for her. Yeah, it's a. She wouldn't have to be lying about anything. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes as you are suggesting, you have to be creative about all of this, but you shouldn't have to be. It sounds like you know the system well, do you? Uh, I don't. I I do know it a little bit because you know I do have family that works in healthcare. Mm Hmm. So I'm just, I'm, this is, I can see maybe possibly a solution. It may not work, but I think that, that it might be an avenue for her to pursue. Okay. And, uh, well, that's a good tip. And hopefully the health bureaucrats that are listening or whomever oversees this, the very, there's different departments that oversee this, uh, try and take this as uh, some guidance that maybe there's other ways to um, – creatively address the home care needs that people have as uh, it sounds like Ms. Tuck is very passionate and, and wants to help there and uh, we should look maybe to knock down some barriers when people are honestly addressing it and I think that's what you're saying as well too. Yes. All right Colin and you didn't drop the call well done buddy appreciate that. Okay. All right, All right take care. Bye. Bye. All right, that was Colin. Oh, God, God forbid, another politician. But that's all right. This one's colorful. Eddie, how are you? Eddie Joyce, the independent MHA for Humber Bay of Islands. What's going on? Hello, Tim. How are you? I am good. I am good. What's on your mind today? Tim, uh, I, I was calling, uh, and I don't mean to interfere with the election that's going on in Portugal, St. Phillips, but uh, it struck me in a comment that uh, Fred Hutton made at the uh, at the debate that he had. Is this the one in Wabana from the other night they were showing on the news last night? Okay, go ahead. Sunday night. And and what he said was, when I'm your MHA, I will be able to pick up the phone, call the transportation minister and say, these roads need to be done this year's budget, and they will be done, Hutton said. That's what was reported in the news. I, I just want to explain the the process. You yeah, because you're a for, important to point out. You're a former transport minister, so people should have that context. Go ahead. No, a municipal affairs minister. Municipal affairs. Sorry, affairs. sorry. But the the way the process used to work is each region would send in their priorities to government, and then the government then would decide on the on the priorities for each region. This government has changed that now you can't get a copy of the pri- priorities. If you put in access to information, which I did, they would say, nope, you you can't get it because it's a cabinet document. They use it to make the decisions in cabinet. So right now, any decision made on the roads in government, and, and, and Fred Hutton would be weirdest as a senior advisor to the premier, he would be involved with cabinet, are made in cabinet, and the final say for any road work in the province is done by the premier of the province. This is this is just away from the norm. No one will ever know right now 
what the priorities are for any district in the province of Newfoundland and Labrador is not on a political basis, not on a priority basis. This is just, it's, it calls into question the safety, and I'll just give you an example, Tim, and, and I can, every, this is public knowledge, yep. by the way, now, that uh, I put in excess information uh, um, going back and said uh, they received it on September 26, 2023. Information, a value of contracts awarded for road work in each of the 40 electoral districts from the period January 1st to the present, uh, January 1st, 2023 to the present date. And what I got back was, was actually shocking. In, in the, I just used the district of Hummer Bay Vons. There was a bridge that was announced in 2018. They got that included in the Bay Bounds. They got some stuff in Scott Reed's district included mm-hmm. to try to up the price. There's approximately $452,000 spent, all, all on recapping, just, just like taking out some film potholes. That's it. That, that, that's it. 452. The Premier's district in the same time, $29 million. All decisions are made in cabinet. So you'll never know. And, and I'll give you an example why that's so, that's so discur- uh, this, uh, concerning for me. There's a bat down in um, what we call number four brook going out towards York Harbor and Lark Harbor. There's gaming baskets that absolutely needs to be replaced. Um, the, they're, they're, they're protecting the roads from the rocks coming down, a lot of heavy rain, uh, snowfall, and in the spring, and heavy, any heavy rain. The gaming baskets are so low now, and they have been for the last couple of years, that the rocks are actually on the road on a regular basis. There's a transportation, when there's heavy rain, there's actually a tractor there waiting to take them off the road. I wrote the previous minister on numerous occasions. The town council has written the ministers. The, uh, I met with the, the current minister, who is well aware of it. He put it in writing. I met with him personally, and, and he was very cordial about it and, and said it is a priority. But the concerning part for me right now is that any decision that's made on roads in this province is made in cabinet, not by the officials who declare what is a priority. It, it, it's frightening, actually. Except, Eddie, I would say this. I mean, how much of that is really different than what's gone on in the past? That doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but you and I both know, and I, you certainly would expect as a good representative of your district when you were in government, you would make representations to cabinet about why X, Y, and Z road needs to be made. And as you said, uh, that that then gets discussed by officials, recommendations come up, and then you discuss it again at cabinet. So what's new or different here? I mean, that again, just because that's been the way it was doesn't make it right, but I, I don't think there's a big departure here. What do you see as different? Two things are different. Uh, I know when I was Municipal Affairs, there was no decisions made in Cabinet what happened to Municipal Affairs. That, that, that never ever came to Cabinet. I might have discussed what I did in Cabinet, okay. and people, but it was never dis- final decisions made in Cabinet. That never happened. That, 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 that is one thing that's different. The second thing that's so different is the secrecy. The secrecy mm-hmm. is to say, what are the priorities? For years, and I go back with Clyde Wells. Yeah, yeah. When I stepped aside for Clyde Wells back in 1989, I said to him, the only, the only stipulation I made for stepping aside, I said, take care of the district. And he said to me, Eddie, the Bay of Arms will never get any more than anybody else, but they won't get any less. I said, Premier, you got a seat. And when, when you look at discrepancies, and when you get it by, by district, when you got $29 million in the Premier's district, 
in, in less than a year. And in other places, which is a priority, the council knows it, uh, the department knows it, the councils have written uh, uh, dangers. You can never see, and this is the big departure, you can never see what were the priorities in the district. Before you can put in access to information, they come back, what are the priorities on the, in the Western region? You can get it. And then you can stand up and say, well, look, how come you skipped this priority? There's no accountability now. Right now, everything is done in cabinet. And, and for the premier not to come out and say, this is not true for, for what was said in the debate, I'm not trying to interfere with the election one bit. But I'm just saying that if for a senior cabinet minister, he must see how this works. I can walk in the cabinet and say, I want this done. It might be a priority, but it may be a political priority and get it done. And I, and I just look at the other thing. Look at the school in Portugal, St. Phillips, and, and this is all in the same vein. It wasn't even recommended by the school board. It wasn't even on the priority list of the school board. It wasn't even on their list. The, 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 the school in Topsville was their priority. So what happens? Cabinet gets in there and says, no, we want this school in Portugal, St. Phillips, even though it's not recommended, even though it's not discussed, we want it. And there's in the premier's own, and, and people say, well, that's where the premier lives. Premier made the decision because cabinet made the decision. And this is the problem, that now you've got people, uh, the money being used, and I always know roads were used for political. Yeah. But you can never, ever see what really the dangerous situations are now in the province because it's in secrecy, okay. it's done through cabinet, and it shouldn't that's, be allowed. That's the difference you see. All right, I'll leave it there. Thanks, Eddie. Good to talk to you. Uh, thank you again, Tim. All right, take care. Bye. All right, that was Eddie Joyce. Oh, you're going to love this, those who don't like politicians. we got another one. I'm going to get that. Dave Williams to get me in trouble. Now, you'll all be barking at Patty tomorrow about how I let all the politicians on, and that's fine. They, they have a right to be part of Newfoundland, Labrador's biggest conversation. And when we come back, we'll have another one. The leader of the NDP, uh, Jim Din, the MHA for St. John's Centre, will join us after the break. Welcome back to VOCM's Open Line. As promised, the leader of the NDP and uh, the MHA for St. John's Centre, Jim Din. Jim, how are you this morning? Are you there? Do we? There, there you go. <laughs> we're, yeah. we're having some fun here this morning, Jim. Uh, what? I almost, want, I almost want to apologize for inflicting yet another. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. I, 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 I can take the hit, the heat. It's all good. I mean, you guys are should be part of the biggest conversation in Newfoundland and Labrador. So that's all right. Anyway, what is on uh, your mind today? Well, I, I guess I, at least one, maybe two, that are connected by the term, uh, by the word transparency. And I listened to Eddie's uh, uh, comments earlier, and uh, sort of, uh, I guess, uh, another. I'm going to have another conversation about that. But before I do, if I may, I'd like to wish Chief Measle Joe a very happy retirement and congratulations on uh, that decision. And the, uh, thank him for his service. I spoke to him earlier, so he's done well for his community. And I would say uh, for uh, uh, you know, bringing, uh, in, 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 I guess, educating the public as well. So uh, I do want to wish him well on, on his uh, in his next stage of life. Uh, he's got grandchildren, great grandchildren. So uh, I can appreciate that mm-hmm. desire to spend more time with family. Anyway, I just yeah, and, and you know what? We just the point I want to make too that you've just raised. I mean, I don't think. 
people appreciate and you're living it firsthand whether you're a dad a granddad a mom a grandmother a sister brother whatever what have it like it's tough on your family this job is really tough on your family doesn't mean it should be a reason for not doing it but no but it, it can take its toll and we wonder why i'm sure you you deal with this in candidate <laughs> recruitment why people don't uh don't offer it's largely because of that toll among others no, I totally understand it, uh, but I do, uh, like I said, for him to give so many, you, you, you belong to the community then as well as your family. So, but I, anyway, he did, uh, he's done remarkable work for the, uh, for the Meowkabeg uh, First uh, Nation and uh, for his community. And I think if nothing else has brought uh, enlightened the public on, on so many issues uh, related to people of First Nations and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, well, thank you for saying that. And I know, uh, I, I'm sure it, it will be, uh, be well received. All right, uh, let's talk. You want to talk? Let's start with the All-Party Committee because we started there ourselves okay. today. Where do you go there? Well, you know, yeah, uh, uh, I was going to say the best for last, but I'll start with that. <laughs> no, <laughs> we'll mix it really. up this morning, Jim. So All-Party, look, we first of all, I, I have to object to the fact that it was ever, ever an All-Party Committee. We, uh, we refused to... Uh, and chose not to refuse to take part in this at the get-go and part of it tim had to do with uh, a number of requests that we had to make this transparent keep in mind we have a court case next uh, month the controverted elections that's coming up in february and um, we, we very clearly we knew at the last election that there were some very serious concerns about how that election was run a fiasco is the best way to describe it so we had asked for an independent chair we had asked for a um, uh, that the that there be equal representation on this, so no one party would have the uh, have um, have uh, more control than the other. We asked for the key thing for citizen representation. Um, we wanted at least three, uh, two or three people there to sit from the public, so that a that they would make uh, their concerns known, but also make sure that I guess the politicians who are on that uh, committee. Uh, regardless of political stripe, were operating and working in the best interest of the people. And I guess part of it for me was that the elections not don't ju- aren't don't just belong to politicians; they belong to the citizens of this province. And I think you talked about in in your conversation with Barry mm-hmm. that you know, like citizens don't like uh, really, really in the long run, who uh, it doesn't make any difference to people. Is this uh, top of mind? Well, when I'm going to the door and I'm and people say to me, you know what, I don't vote. Uh, it's not where I'm not I'm not involved. I, I keep reminding people that's music to a politician's ear when they hear that you don't vote because it means you're not voting for uh, the competition as well or the uh, other uh, candidates. I think everyone everyone should be engaged because in the end, I, I still look upon elections and the campaigning as a job interview um, with your constituents. And I think, you know, having, a, 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 we've had a process basically, I think the lack of transparency has probably made it, uh, made it less more more of an incentive not to be involved or disincentive to be involved uh so one of the, uh, the that was key to us at the beginning of this that that we make this as transparent and as balanced as possible and it was quite clear from the minister at the time that he was not interested i think his comments were well we're the majority uh that's that's the way it is and 
at that point, I think we run, we realized this is not going to be a, a truly investigative uh, or um, uh, meaningful committee to be on. Uh, we'll work on uh, the other issues that we need to be dealing with, and that was our decision. It's a bit late, I guess, in some ways, uh, three years into it, to decide they're going to pull out um, the PCs. But at the same time, uh, I welcome the fact that at the least they've uh, they've recognized what we recognized early on. Is there, Jim, look, you're certainly your federal brethren have been leaders on uh, electoral reform, and uh, nobody's really been able to advance it. Is there a political price to be paid by this, thus why, you know, the government can behave the way it's behaved? Because uh, it doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that at least, like nationally, gets Newfoundlanders and Labradorians all engaged and worked up. You mean? Electoral reform, all-party committee. I, I think many people, you know, and that's, and that's a fair comment because I think people see it as being so far removed from their day-to-day lives. But at the same time, when, and I listened to the previous speaker, Eddie, talk about it, you know, how decisions are made. When we advocate that, I, I guess we, we get more, we, well, we get more of the same. Uh, I, I, I really do believe that um, I, I think there's got to be a connection drawn between my everyday life, whether uh, you know, my, the affordability, about the services that are provided, the priorities that are given, and the, and the, and the connection of people. I think, uh, I think in many ways um, people feel left out of it. Uh, and at least when I go to the door, like they, they, uh, it, I hear from a number that, you know, what, what's to use? I don't vote. I'm never going to vote. And I really, and, and it should be a point that the election, not just the election, by the way, but any the, the political mm-hmm. process, is about making sure that your needs as an individual and the needs of the uh, the area community are met, uh, and that the government is serving is serving those needs as opposed to its own agenda. And to me, that's the important piece. I don't think. Look, it doesn't matter what which party is in power. I think it's healthy to have a, 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 an effective opposition. And uh, more importantly, not just simply say, well, we're in for four years now, we're going to make all the decisions, but it's somewhere along the line you've got to engage with people and be transparent with them and bring them in. And I think that's a piece that's been missing on a lot of the decisions. We've brought them up in that. We've, we've discussed these issues in the House. I can think of another a number of examples where I, I guess we've accused government of a lack of transparency. I think good governance good, uh, uh, is going to result in a better quality of life for people uh, because it's going to mean better decision-making uh, and, and decision-making that's more responsive to the needs of people. Okay. Now, you want to talk about nurses. Go ahead. Yeah, I'll give you about three and minutes on that. No problem. Look, the key thing there, and it ties into it, uh, I guess I saw the story on your, on your station there with regards to and the interview with Yvette Coffey. No knowledge of the recruitment numbers coming out of the Department of Health. They've been after the uh, uh, the vacancy report since October and have not uh, been uh, given that information. Uh, the other part of it is, uh, Ms. Minister Osborne is saying about 300-plus uh, registered nurses, based on what Yvette is saying and, and Ms. Con- uh, President Coffey is yeah. saying, is that, you know, that it's much less. So we've been asking since the beginning. We, we've heard all these recruitment numbers well, and what, what they're doing, but what do the numbers translate into? I'd rather let's be upfront and transparent and, and uh, factual about it so we know where we are and where we're going. Um, I was, you know, it's interesting. Manitoba, 
is apparently offering a two-year signing bonus, uh, $50,000 for nurses who want to come there. And they're more or less saying to uh, nurses here too, if you, uh, you know, this nurse, if you know of other people in your province, let them know. And why I say that is I think there are a lot of people who are quite happy, a lot of people here uh, who want to work in our system. Maybe it doesn't pay, maybe it pays as much, but they want to be treated fairly. They want to be treated with dignity. So I think in many ways uh, you start with looking at the workers in the system, the nurses in this case, uh, with, uh, like you should be bringing the, uh, uh, being transparent and open with the union so that uh, they're not forced to go to the media yeah. and, and, to, and to contradict this. This is, the, this is a problem that needs to be addressed. And I think you start with looking after people mm-hmm. and, you, and you start looking after the problem. Otherwise, we're going to be open to uh, you know, uh, poaching from other provinces and <laughs> simply announcing numbers is not going to be the total answer. No. <laughs> And uh, I, I've seen in other jurisdictions it's caused some interprovincial friction. We've had a little bit of that, Saskatchewan, as yep. you know. Uh, I mean, look, we're all in this together, and, and, and that includes provinces. That includes working with the existing unions, because uh, ultimately it is the people who uh, pay for the services who need to benefit from them, and we have to deliver them in the most effective way. All right, Jim, I will leave it there. Uh, good to talk to you. Uh, thanks for joining us today. Take care. Thank you. All right. Take care. That was uh, Jim Din, the uh, leader of the NDP, uh, Newfoundland Labrador, MHA for St. John's Center. All right. We got half an hour. I don't know who else Dave can load up for me, you know, from the political class. Uh, But we're welcoming everybody. Hope to talk to you shortly after this break. Get lost in the music of legendary artists like Elton John, The Beatles, and more. Join Claudette Barnes every Sunday from 12 to 1 p.m. and relive fond memories through the power of music with Sunday Melodies on your VOCM. Well, welcome back to VOCM's Open Line. We've got about 22 minutes, and I'm delighted uh, to have the next few minutes to speak to somebody we've been speaking about all morning, and that is the uh, chief, uh, well, I guess now traditional, chief of the Meow Bokek um, First Nation. That's Chief Meisel Joe. Uh, you've heard a lot of people speak very well about him this morning. All deserved accolades, uh, but he is still very much with us and will still be very much involved in the affairs of, uh, of his First Nation. Uh, now I'd like to welcome Chief Joe on the air. How are you, sir? Good morning. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Well, um, I don't know if you've heard the praise coming in. It's always funny, as you well know, Chief. You're so well spoken about as you step out. But I think in your case, people have always spoken well uh, of you and have had a, a fine regard for you. What uh, what brought you to the place of deciding after uh, so many years to give up the administrative chief role and move to the traditional chief role? Well, it, I've always done the, both, both of those roles uh, for 35 years. I've been involved in community politics for 50 years or so. And uh, it was time to uh, you know, do that one role and do it well. Uh, we needed at this stage our community is uh, you know, lacking some things in terms of moving forward under, under all of our traditions and customs that we hold so there. So I think it's time that we we start doing that, and I couldn't do both, uh, do justice to both. So it's either do one or do nothing. So I decided that it was time, and of course, the other part of that is my family. I need more time with my family, and my my work family I've been with for 35 years. I surely miss them doing well. 
Well, you're, sir, you're only young compared to Mr. Kretschmann, who turned 90 the other day, but both of you are vibrant and, and, and active and engaged in, in, the, in the broad public issues. I mean, you have seen so much over your time as, uh, as a community leader and a chief, particularly as it's related to, you know, in, in transformation of, I hope positively, but still with tons of work to be done, uh, of the way of the uh, Canada Indigenous relationship. I, I mean, there's so many paths we could go down here, but where, where do we sit now, uh, today, as it relates to how uh, non-Indigenous peoples have come to understand and better recognize the role and responsibilities they have to Indigenous peoples, not just in this province, but in the country? Yeah, it, it's a long, hard road. And I've been on that road for a long time and a long way to go. But I think we've made some headway with not only with government, both level of government, but with with Newfoundlanders in general. Uh, and we've done that by looking at this as an education mm-hmm. of who we are and what we're all about. And that, to some degree, uh, has worked. And, you know, uh, I've always tried to be respectful to all people regardless and uh, it's, it's, their, it's their show if they don't want to return that, but that's fine. That's their cross to bear. Mine is to try and be as kind and gentle and respectful as possible. And I think that's seen in the way uh, you have dealt with all the various partners you have uh, have had over the years, be they the, the federal government, the provincial government, and other businesses and, 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 and entities that have worked with your community. What are you most proud of um, when it comes to your time as chief? Well, a couple of things that come to mind is, is having to, my first uh, week on the job or first couple of months on the job, I've had to put a padlock on Joe Gowdy's door to then, uh, <laughs> loosen up our money that he was only on to. <laughs> but that was my first my first job. But uh, I think the other one would be uh, the education. We took away education from the church in 1985. Right. Uh, since that, we have a new school now, and we've seen lock, uh, lawyers, doctors, nurses, and tradespeople uh, come on from education, and those are the new warriors going forward in our world. Uh, they're young, they're well-educated, and those are the people that's going to take us into this new beginning, uh, I like to call it, a new chapter of our lives, uh, because uh, people my age now, is uh, it's time to step aside and let some of those people do what they need to do. And, and give them the you know the opportunity to do it. And and are you seeing people step up? Because I you will know when you first started one of the criticisms, fairly or unfairly, that the federal government would uh, would uh, affix to different uh, First Nations was that the governance capacity didn't exist. There weren't enough people like yourself who were interested or skilled. Has that all changed in your view? Absolutely. Uh, I remember our uh, discussions around uh, funding in the beginning, and we were told that if we did get funding, we weren't allowed to build our own houses or mm-hmm. weren't allowed to have, do any, even have our own people do the jobs. They had to have outside contractors. But thank God with good people in place, and, and uh, we were able to say, no, thank you, we'll take your money. But if we're going to uh, move forward in the future under a governance model, it will be ours, and we'll, we'll, we don't want to put people on welfare. We want people to go to work and learn to trade and be a part of society. 
And that's, we've been able to do that, thank God. Today we have 100% employment in the community, and we're working hard with uh, developing a new business outside the community that will help us to someday have enough home source revenue to, to do more in our own community, but uh, building the community and be self-sufficient as much as we can. Today we live in a world where leadership is about, it seems, mainstream leadership, and this is not a, a true of, of, of everyone, but what most people see, uh, certainly if they're looking to the South and even federally here in Canada and sometimes provincially, is division as opposed to unity, um, discrimination as opposed to convincing people of a common path forward and education. Respect is often found in the trash can. I mean, you're a leader who is stepping down well-respected, seen as a unifier, somebody who spent a lot of time having people understand the perspective of your community, but also the, the assuming a broader fiduciary responsibility to the province. What are your lessons of leadership or advice on leadership right now as we find ourselves in the place that we do? Well, be kind, uh, be gentle, and above all, be patient. Because not every person or band member, whether it be outside or inside the reserve, or government for that matter, will understand the directions you're trying to go. You, I think you have to realize that you sometimes have to teach them and, and teach them to understand uh, what you're trying to do, what you're trying to build. Because colonial, uh, colonialism has been around for a long time, and that's ingrained in government. So you, you take on that role of changing those things and, and doing it in a way that's educational to all. And uh, if you do it that way, then I think uh, we will all be better off in this province. Last question for you, and then please offer any words you would like, but it, it is that building off we just what we just said. What do you say... What would be your parting message in your current role, not just to your own people, but to the people of the province as we deal with, you know, exceptionally difficult times uh, all over the globe, an affordability crisis, housing crisis. We're looking at each other perhaps with more suspicion than we once did in the past. What, what, what message would you like to give to, to these listeners and the people of the province? Well, trust is one thing that comes to mind, uh, trusting uh, the people that you put in place. And I know that's hard at times, and as soon as a politician steps into the, into the chair or sits in the chair, it becomes easy to come in me number one. But you have to give politicians the time to, to do the things they need to do. And uh, trust goes along with that, and, uh, you know, uh, and be patient because not everybody's going to have everything they want right away. It takes time to do that. Uh, whether it be in a small small community or a big community or a city, it takes time to get to everyone. And sometimes it looks like you're being left behind, but uh, you will be there on that spot sometime somewhere along the way. But, uh, you know, and, and lots of luck and uh, lots of patience. Those are wise words, sir. Is there anything else you'd like to say before I let you go? I would want to thank the staff that's been with me for 35 years. Without them, I couldn't have done what I've done. 
Uh, and uh, and no, no doubt they would say the same of you. Anyway, real honor to speak with you. Thank you for what you've done for your people, for all people. Uh, you've been certainly an inspirational leader to, to many, in, not just in Newfoundland and Labrador, but across the country. And I know you're not going too far, uh, but you do deserve proper, proper acknowledgement, as I hope you find you're getting it today from uh, many who've admired you. Thank you, Chief Joe. Thank you so much, and have a great day. All right, take care. Uh, that was Chief Meisel Joe. Uh, great to be able to speak to him, and uh, glad to see all of the acknowledgments he's getting today, and I'm sure he will get many more, but he's the sort of leader who probably cares less about acknowledgments and more about outcomes, but sometimes you, you should take the praise when it comes. All right, time for our last break here at VUCM's Open Line. The lines are open. Call about whatever the hell you want. Like, have a, have a, have a crack at me, too, if you want, or poop on the politicians. I mean, that's Dave, but I'll, I'll wear it. Anyway, time for a break here on VUCM's Open Line. Welcome back to Open Line. We got like six, seven minutes. So we're going to go, I'll go to Anonymous first, who wants to talk about Team Gushu Highway. You're on the air, Anonymous. What's on your mind? Yeah, no, I was just wondering. I haven't heard it mentioned on the Open Line any time before. But like uh, when you get peak traffic uh, from Team Gushu heading down toward Dodge City, like you cannot enter a turning lane to turn left until you're almost down, which creates about a kilometer and a half of traffic in completely peak traffic. Uh, when you're sitting in that kilometer and a half of traffic, you look to your left and there's about a kilometer or more of concrete cement barriers that got a fully paved lane barred off. I was just wondering why it was never looked at uh, to not put those barriers there and use that for a turning lane until they were ready to proceed with the highway. Boy, uh, you would guess that I don't have a, a clue about why that is, although I'm the son of a road builder and uh, uh, and an engineer. Uh, I have no idea, but I tell you what, Dave heard you, and maybe he and Patty can dig into why that's the case. I mean, they're, I mean they may have planned an access road, and they went in a different direction. Uh, that sounds like a, uh, a construction planning issue, but I, but I just don't know, so I don't want to put yeah, false like, information I, I, out I, there. I travel that way myself to go home, and mm-hmm. there's days that I've waited six and seven and eight lights before I could even get in the turning lane. So what I started doing, I, I hops off on Redmond's Road now and takes Black Marsh and down Frecker, and I'm home 10 minutes quicker, right? Yeah. You know, when there's a fully paved lane completely barred off, you know? Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I haven't been on that in a while, but I, I do recall it. All right, good man. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care. Have a nice day. You have a good one. Yeah. All right, Justin, you're the last man on with government transparency. You got about four minutes. Go ahead. Yeah, Tim, I'm going to make this pretty quick. But <laughs> I, uh, I had a little idea there. Uh, okay. I, I'm sure somebody else has thought of it. But if you want to talk about transparency, I mean, we have all this technology now. We got the MyGov app and all that stuff. And, you know, when there's things up for debate, especially important issues, like, say, the government was talking about selling off oil assets, you know, yada, yada. Uh, why can't we go into an app and have our little say? You know, not saying it's the final word, but we'll have our say. We can go in and click yes or no on a little app and, and let the government know what we want to do. Yeah, talk a little bit more about that. How do you think that would work? Well, you know... 
obviously a lot of things are done behind closed doors, but some things can be up for debate. And like I said, there could be an app on your phone, no different you sign into a MyGov app to do your, uh, you know, your car registry or whatever the case may be. You could go into MyGov app and there could be a little section there where you, there's a spot you can go in and, and, and give your say on yeah. whatever for debate. Yeah, you know, the thing with all those apps is I wonder if they ever really get looked at, right? I think they get, because with companies, there's an engagement that's necessary because there's data, right? And it drives the purchasing of things. But with... Uh, uh, government app, I do wonder how much serious consideration you get. But to your point, I mean, if somebody does actually want to see what people are saying and thinking and all of that, that might be a, a way to do it. Not, not a bad idea. Thank you for that, Justin. Yeah, no worries. All right, you have a good day. You too, thanks. Bye. Do, do, do. All right, there you go. Oh, my God, we got Daryl. Well, uh, Dave is making it work here. Daryl, you got like Two minutes, buddy. The grid in Alberta. I hear it's a friggin' mess. <laughs> Hi, Tim. How you doing, my friend? I'm good. I, I'm good. Thank you. Oh, that's good. Long time about that, uh, the electrical grid. Like yeah. Alberta is a good example. I'll make it quick. And uh, they're almost to the point that they almost had blackouts. They came very uh, close and because the grid couldn't handle it. So now they're talking about going all electric vehicles. Right, and so when you look at it, imagine if you had all electric vehicles and no gas vehicles, and that going onto the grid on top of it. Like my whole point is that the electrical grids cannot handle electric vehicles, as we're seeing now with the coal in Alberta, and then summertime you get hot temperatures and so forth. And you look at the rate increase we're just proposed here in Newfoundland and Labrador. I think it might be five or seven percent over a couple of years, and it's due to maintenance. So if we go all electric vehicles. In my opinion, we're going to pay more for our hydro bill than what we pay for fuel at the pumps. And, and when you look at the grid, it's all generated by either natural gas or diesel anyhow. So I think we're going to have to rethink everything that's happening. Yeah, and you certainly um, uh, there's been a lot of – I just saw something in Alberta about uh, that very issue of EV cars and what that how, – how it would work when the grid has been under pressure there for three days with the cold snap. And you're, you're certainly right. It's it's a good point you raise. you got like 30 seconds. Anything yeah. else you want to raise, Daryl? Uh, well, and you look at now the, like their wind turbines and, and the solar, uh, that didn't even do any good. Like their wind uh, turbines didn't even do serve any purpose at all because they had, hardly had any wind. And, and solar never did good, probably maybe a little bit during the daytime. So in actual essence, we're going to have to rethink everything And uh, because if the grid can't handle it, and then summertime with, with air conditionings and so forth, you're going to get overloads that way. Uh, uh, we're going to have to rethink how we're doing things for, yeah, no. for the better. Good point. Appreciate the call. Thank you, Daryl. All right. Thanks, Tim. And all the best to you and VOCM and listening audience. Take care all right. and have a great day. You too. Thank you. Well, see, there you go. we got a whole bunch of people who called in. Look, I see Ashley, Zoe, others writing. And Please do. Maggie, you're not, Margie, you're not happy about too many politicians and the tone I took. Well, I apologize if my tone was off to some, but look, I'm glad you give me the feedback. I'm uh, anybody can call this show; they always do. I guess it happens when I'm here. You get a few more politicians. I don't set that up. There was a couple of calls I set up.
up, but whatever. Please call. Please offer your views. Uh, and I certainly welcome the criticism and insights. I will never refuse. Well, the, the, I, don't, I don't want people who are racists and people who are bigots and the like calling, but uh, it is the people's show. But for it to be the people's show, they got to call too or text, and they all do. Anyway, great being here. Patty, I think we'll be back tomorrow. Look forward to talking to you all again soon. Special thanks, as always, to Dave Williams, who does a bang-up job uh, running this program and helping many people as he can. Everybody have a great day, a great afternoon, and watch out for the snow. I'm Tim Powers for now. That's VOCM's Open Line.